This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. And I'm R- I'm RJ. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're exploring our midlife crisis with seances, philandering husbands, and good old-fashioned Catholic guilt in the face of the swinging 60s as we watch spine 149 of the Criterion Collection, Federico Fellini's Juliet of the Spirits from 1965. But first, mm-hmm. RJ... It's a what? very nice hoodie you have on. Hey, why don't you shut up, Jarrett? Jarrett's over there before we hit record, and he's being all judgmental about me because I'm in the privacy of my own home, and I'm wearing a hoodie because, you know, it's winter, and it's cold, and we don't turn that heat up, baby, because we're trying to save the earth. So, oh, yeah, I'm wearing that hoodie. And then Jarrett's over there in his, like, four-porse four suit. He's got, like, French <laughs> cuffs. He's got some kind of, like... I don't know, tromboner for something. A dicky. All I got to say is, where do you get off, man? Who are you to judge other people the way people are dressed, man? Mm. Who are you? I don't know how I feel about that voice. That, that Man. That, that, ugh. That's not true. We taught a lion to eat tofu. Ugh. You know that? You know that zinger, Jarrett? No. Well, you started this, and all I have to say is, uh, you brought you bring this on yourself. This podcast in general, <laughs> this is your fault. Well, I'm, I'm, you're just kind of rocking that like Dark Lord of the Sith look in your uh, yellow <laughs> basement office. It's not yellow in real life. It's only yellow in computer life. Yeah, through the internet. Hey, you know, people uh, people find it really weird that we're not in the same room when we podcast. So now you've opened up this you've opened up this wormhole again. Who are these people? Well, people are going to be emailing in now and they're going to be like, you guys uh, podcast uh, in your own houses. Like, I thought you got together and uh, did that all the time. No, I did have someone when I I mentioned a while ago that uh, we were going to have a guest on the pod and he was from Georgia. Someone was like, they're going to fly from Georgia up here. (laughs) And I was like, no, no. I was like, no, they're just going to like Skype in and they're like, you use Skype. And I was like, yes. Yes. Hmm. I can't remember who asked me that. So if they're listening, I'm sorry for making fun of you, but <laughs> come on. Well, you should make fun of them. <laughs> I don't I honestly don't remember cuz as Andrea has pointed out many times, I don't listen very good. Mhm. So sometimes people will say stuff and I'll be like, "Okay, got it." And then I'll go They'll be like, "Oh, this is an apple. It's red and it's uh, sweet." And I'll be like, "Got it." And I'll go and I'll be like, "So those zucchinis over there are pretty tart, hey?" But, you know, if you say it with enough confidence and enough like conviction, you can believe it yourself. It's not a lie if you believe it. Man, one day you could be president. I might. I might be. People will go back to these and be like, well, they're like, he's kind of like weird, but he does sure like Arby's. Maybe he'll bring a resurgence into the fast food world and uh, stimulate the economy. Wow. I mean, you're talking about fast food here and stimulating economies. I mean, truth. What does that mean? Anything anyway. Truth wow. is subjective, Jarrett. That's what I hear. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Outstanding. Here we are. Here we are. So I'm, what did you do this week, you jerk? Uh, I drew. I've been drawing. Week two. Mm-hmm. Week, week yeah, two. See? Haven't derailed. It's it's good. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll hold you accountable to this. Yeah. Because this has happened in the uh, lifetime of the podcast before. Yep. As I mentioned Absolutely. last week. 100%. Are you going to stick to it now if I, uh, if I give you a hard time about it? No. Are you going to start watching WWE again? No, I don't know if that's happening. 
I got invited to a Royal Rumble party next uh, yeah. a couple weekends. Are you coming? No. Well, well you know you know what's actually really good at keeping one from the uh that lifestyle from the watching wrestling lifestyle playing uh D and D on Sundays instead. I thought you were done. No, no, Isn't no. Isn't that what you said last week? No, no. Well, I, I was... I, am I bad uh, at listening so, well, again? Yes, yeah, yeah, well, yes. No, I'm done DMing, but I got to go back to playing. Oh. Yeah. Well, what do you prefer? I actually really like DMing quite a bit. Because um, you're a nerd? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, mm. But I think nowadays we're all nerds. As I was uh, telling your girlfriend today when I saw her at work, uh, we're mm-hmm. it's like the club meeting stuff going on on campus and there's mm-hmm. a table where it's like the geek group and it's like it's just a bunch of like tchotchke stuff and like board Pop game culture. stuff and it's just like is this like what people think are geeky things because like this stuff's at the mall like this is pretty mm-hmm. mainstream stuff it's just the fact that you're like really into it and collect it all is what makes it geeky and it's like Mm, this stuff's just shit. <laughs> like, well, I I've noticed this for a while. Like the geek and the nerd titles have been taken over by something else entirely. And I think all it means now is like what you're saying. It's like you have a passion for a certain thing, and that's not even necessarily true. It's just it conforms to pop culture, where it's like you hear certain people, like men or women, and they look a certain way, and they're like, I'm so into the Marvel stuff. Like, I'm such a geek for Marvel movies and, like, Iron Man. And you're like, okay, okay. But, you know, it's the terms. They... They've taken on new life, Jared. They have a new meaning. You betcha. And why don't you shut up? You're you're the geek, not me. <laughs> well, anyways, I uh, look forward to not hearing about uh, those D and D adventures. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep those, you know, those, those are for I keep the, what what stays in the group. It stays there. You know, you don't bring it out. Mm. You don't spread it because it's really not interesting. You don't. Did you say you don't spread it? You don't spread it. Spread. Spread. That might be the grossest thing you've ever said on this podcast. Oh, I doubt that. Well, gross to me, though. Mm. Spread. <laughs> so is this is this what it's come to? I guess so. Hey, RJ, oh. we've got emails. How many? Two. Two? Yeah. Well, okay, that's pretty good. I mean, unless you want to talk about spreading anymore. Like, I know you do the spread when you go full Nelson. Do, do you uh, want to hear about my halfling monk? Not level, really. Hit level 13. You want to hear about my life? I got really no. hammered on the weekend and had a really unproductive day. Oh, that's par for the course. It was it was on it it was completely unplanned though. It wasn't my fault that it happened. Sam Chen, Sam Sanchez wrote oh, in. Come on. He's not gonna write in anymore with that butchering. Hey guys, writing in once again. It's become a habit. So listen to Frank on the In the Mood for Love episode and thought he did a solid job despite him being hard mm-hmm. on himself. Inspire to consider doing the same. <laughs> Inspire to consider. <laughs> uh, though looking at episodes down the line, only a couple stand out to me. Bob Le Flambeur is way too soon to consider because that's mm. next week. That's next Trouble week. in Paradise. I'm a Lubitsch fan, though I prefer a couple of his other movies over this one. And after mm-hmm. that, uh, it's not until Pickup on South Street, probably a year and a half from now. That's easily Jesus. the one I'd love to be on sometime in the future, as it might be uh, my favorite noir. Would you just uh, would just have to raid my kid's piggy bank for that? Well, uh, that's fine. I mean, it's your money. Uh, it's your money, money ultimately. Yeah, we don't. Uh, I think, as we said many times when Frank was on there, uh, we'll take whatever we can get, but we don't expect anything. Yeah. I mean, have you heard Jarrett talk? 
Yeah. We're miserable, us two. Mm-hmm. We don't expect any high-class stuff. Jared's playing D&D all the time. Yeah. But uh, if you want to wait until uh, that Sam Fuller deal, go for it, man. Do, do whatever feels good. That'll be a nice treat because it'll be a, a couple down from a, a, another Fellini joint. And, you know, I'm always bummed out when we have Fellini on the show. Is that the white cheek? I don't know. Uh, Lestrada? Lestrada. Yeah, the rest, actually, there's like two Fellinis in a close approximation. It's going to be a great time. Well, well Fellini stinks. But anyways. Uh, Sam yeah, continues. Yeah? <laughs> I'm also incredibly self-conscious, so I'd probably uh, be just as hard on myself as Frank is. So some definite mm. prep work needs to be done. Fun fact. I listen to a lot of podcasts on 1.5 speed. You guys are no exception. When you guys read my email, read my email, email recently, see? Jesus. Talking. Yeah. Uh, decided to slow it down to standard speed to savor the on. And I'm either too accustomed to listening to you guys on 1.5 speed or you guys genuinely speak uh, incredibly slowly because both of you sounded slurred and drunk on regular speed to me. Maybe you are. (laughs) Cheers to that. Um, Uh, Well, I usually am. That's pretty noticeable. But so I can speak to that because I I also listen to podcasts and audiobooks sped up, but I don't usually go past 1.3. And that's like, I don't know, I think. I found my, my good spot there, anything higher. And then I, I sometimes can't, uh, fully comprehend what I'm hearing, but I have noticed, uh, cause if I listen, sometimes I listen to our show to make sure you don't throw anything bad in there. Uh, and I listen to that at 1.3 speed. And then if I pull up the YouTube, uh, cause I, I go and I like all the YouTubes because I am, uh, one of those guys, but you know what, whatever, I'm proud of what we do so I can like it. No big deal. But, uh, when that starts, and Jarrett starts talking, you are like, you sound like you have like half a brain. You're just like, this is the Criterion Creeps podcast. You're very <laughs> slow, Jarrett. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's just because you listen to it sped up. So I guess I agree with Mr. Uh, Sam Sanchez here. <laughs> hey, Jarrett, shut up. Random noir recommendation for Jarrett for January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the Chase from 1946. Uh, I have added it to my watch list. Are you going to watch it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. This year, though? or are you uh, gonna... I, I hope to watch it this week. Wouldn't exactly wow. say it is top-tier noir, but it is definitely solid. And one of the more stranger and unique ones I've come across that I don't see mentioned enough. That's worth checking out. Uh, thanks again, guys, and sorry for the long email. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, no, I've... Uh... I'll watch anything. And I've actually seen that uh, Sam has watched like pretty well everything that I've been watching. So, hmm. yeah, I will. That sounds cool. Try to get that in. Uh, and then our second email. Wait, hold on a second. Whoa. Thanks Whoa. for emailing in. I don't think it was a long email at all. And I don't think anyone should feel self-conscious coming on this show, as we've mentioned before, because we don't try. So why should you? Yeah. Anyways, what else you got? Christopher Cheney. I'm going to go with Cheney. Is this a, is this a new person? Yes. Like Dick Cheney? Uh, like Lon Cheney or Dick Cheney. Like Lon Cheney Jr.? Yeah. He's uh, okay. his subject line. Filler for the show. Hey, creeps. <laughs> you guys seem to enjoy using email as filler, so I suppose I can help with that. I always yep. love the Dudes Talking Shit podcast format, and the creeps are slowly mastering this genre. So although you're no Mega64 or Hello Internet, you're definitely Ooh. still a valuable part of my week in podcast listening. Thanks for all the free and entertaining hours of content. I usually listen to your new episodes on Friday mornings while counting out money and doing the daily building inspection at the movie theater I work at. Neat. Mm-hmm. How apropos. Chris, That's not, that sounds like a fun job, working at the old movie theater. 
I imagine a lot of people listening to the podcast have at one point in their life uh, worked in a movie theater. But yeah, it is nice to hear from new people. And yeah. yes, we do use it to kill time. As you could tell at the start of this podcast, mm-hmm. we weren't, we didn't really have anything to talk about yeah. because we kind of have boring lives sometimes. Sometimes this is very true. Sometimes I try to get into situations for content for the show, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it goes a little too far and you can't bring that up on the podcast. Mm. But uh, I like to hear from new people. Uh, and he, I've mentioned Mega64 a couple times, so I relate to that, Jared. Do wow. you? This, is that your influence, huh? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I is that know. your influence? No. Oh. Well, whatever. I, I'm glad I heard from someone new, and uh, I hate that I'm here talking to you. Excellent. Mm. Hey, RJ. What? What you been creeping on this week? Uh, I didn't do a lot, to be honest. What else is but, new? Hey, 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 hey. When I do talk about shows, we always run up, uh, end up running like two hours long. <laughs> so uh, in the sake of, uh, I don't know, brevity... Is that the word we're using here? Ooh la la. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to keep it short and concise. And I know that uh, here now, already two weeks into Jan Nuorary, or that whatever the horrible thing you're doing is, uh, you haven't talked about a single one, mm-hmm. have you? Not yet, because last week we, we talked a lot. So yep. I got so, some coming up. So there you go. So I'm trying to I'm trying to give you a vehicle for once. I know everyone's always like, oh, we want to hear from RJ. Oh, more RJ, less Jarrett, boo. But uh, I'll, I'll let you have this one, okay? So taking a little advice from uh, Jarrett and also a friend of the show, Ryan Nagle, uh, I watched the Paddington movies. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned before, and I've mentioned other times on this show, sometimes when I'm in a compromised physical and mental state, uh, I get fairly emotional watching movies. And uh, this weekend was no exception to that. Did you watch Paddington drunk or hungover? Hungover. Oh. Not drunk. I, I'm i not an animal. Like, I don't I don't usually... I try not to watch new stuff drunk unless I know it's bad. And I'm not drunk all the time, just most of the time. It's a difference. Go on. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so I watched those Paddingtons. Uh, Paddington 1, uh, I think, is really good. I think that movie's super good. And I think people are a little too hard on that thing. Because I know a lot of people seem to really enjoy it. But the general comment on everything I saw about Paddington was, well, it's no Paddington 2. And I heard how good Paddington 2 was. So I had to watch this before then. And now that I've seen Paddington 2, I can confirm that Paddington 1 is is quite good, but not on the levels of Paddington 2. And I think people are being a little too hard on Paddington 1. I think Paddington 1 is great. Yeah, I thought you would like it. Uh, this is exactly the kind of movie I like. Uh, and uh, yeah, you were right. So it's a... Did you, did, bring, you, did you watch it with Andrea? Were you able she to did convince watch, her? Oh, I good. did make her watch both of them. Uh, she also thought that they were quite sad, these movies. Uh, so she was she was right there with me. And we were just we're watching and learning, Jarrett. And we are just along for the emotional ride. Um. What was I talking about? Uh, I like how wholesome this movie is. And it's not like just wholesome for the sake of it. Because there's a lot of movies that try to be like that. Where it's like, oh, look how cute it is. Or like, it's got such a good message. But they like, sometimes movies like that super suck. Uh, and I think this movie does it pretty um, effortlessly. Where a lot of what's just ha- 
a lot of what plays out, whether it's something nice or something comedic or something sad or something inspirational, it, uh, it, it feels genuinely like effortless where it's just there. Um, I know that mighty Boosh. I know that old Greg, uh, <laughs> I think he, his humor sometimes comes out, uh, out in, the, in these, well, not sometimes like the whole movies, but there are a few things that I think, uh, showcase that better than other moments in the movies um my favorite character in both of these movies is uh the security guard so spoiler to you because you haven't seen two but uh, the security guard makes a, another appearance in paddington 2 and in paddington he's the guy where uh when mr brown is dressed up like uh the woman uh oh yeah like custodian and he's like you're a fetching lass oh, that's like the, that, that's probably the worst part of the first movie <sighs> I I like that guy, and I think no, he's but, like, real no, funny like in the second the, one too. No, the drag part was just bizarre. Like, it seems oh, like okay, you're not gonna like this. So it's the same bit is done again in Paddington too, uh-huh. but with a different man in drag. I see. Uh, I actually I thought it was really funny and it was really sweet because this guy's like, "Ooh, what a fetching ass you are." I don't know. Is that just British humor or something? Like I don't know what it is, but that's like uh, that's kind of like this. It's, there's a couple of bits like that where I'm like, yeah, I like Paddington quite a bit, but there's there's things like that where I just was like, nah, that's not, okay. not, well, not I like so that much. bit. Yeah, uh, well, the one I, I thing loved I... Uh, um, Malcolm, uh, Doctor Who in the first Paddington. Does does he show up in Paddington too? Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Yes, he is in. Uh, he's in Paddington too, and he's even more unlikable. Oh, really? Well, know. actually, he's not in it as much. I think he's in one more, but uh, you really, uh, you really feel the hate for him in the in number two. Oh man, is he talking? So, okay, about, is he talking about Brexit in that one? <laughs> no, there's no real Brexit oh, stuff, uh, but there's a lot good. of xenophobia in that. Uh, wow. Number two. Okay, well, okay. So you just, you just contradicted yourself. <laughs> well. Okay, so like his role in number two is basically he's just like he's like we don't want these bears living in our neighborhood. Yeah. So, but okay, uh, I'll just I'll finish on Paddington one. The only other last thing I'll say because you already talked about it is I think that they do the setup and the delivery of certain jokes really well. Uh, my favorite was the setup of the pigeons and then the payoff to oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a constant thing. And if it had no payoff, I still would have liked it because I was like, that's a nice joke that they keep referencing. Well, but it, then well, it actually like, had a payoff. Well, it's like not even just the pigeons. It's the payoff of – it's like Chekhov's sandwich. It's like why is he why – is, why, is why is that sandwich still under his hat? Why is, yeah, why does he always have that? And like I think that's why I really like number one is there's setup and there's payoffs. And then like there are things that they don't get left unattended to. They don't lo- leave any loose ends. Did some you, people did, you, did you get that uh, Shape of Water vibe I was talking about? Oh, yeah. And as Sally Hawkins, a talker like this. And she's doing her, her French thing. Wait, that's not French. No. Well, you know how Sally Hawkins talks. Mm. Anyways, are you going to watch... Uh, I'll, I'll go to Paddington 2 now, which uh, I, I loved equally. Um, I do see... Paddington 2, I think, uh, appeals to, like, I know this thing's got, like, a a 5 out of 5 across, like, every platform. And I think it's uh, earned. It's got a ton of great stuff and a lot of, a lot of the same things, but done a little bit better. um, But I I liked them both equally. Uh, I really Mm. did. Are you going to watch number two soon? Uh, I don't know. When it it comes on Netflix, I'll probably watch it then. But Do you know what, uh, well, number one, 
uh, a little bit. Do you know what number two is about? Do you want me to tell you a little bit? No. No? Can I can I uh, tantalize you a little bit by uh, telling you that it is a prison movie? Oh, what? Uh, that sounds I, very, very appealing to me. <laughs> it is a prison movie. Uh, it has serious... I think there's some obvious connections to... Uh, like when we were watching both of these, Andrew's like he's got kind of a Wes Anderson-y feel, and I was like, yeah, he does. Uh, in a lot of the way he shows like the sets, and you know when he does when Wes Anderson yeah, the, does the pullout, and it shows the whole well, set kind of. Well, well, in the first Paddington, there's like the dollhouse. In the dollhouse, yeah, yeah. So he does stuff like that a little bit more in here, uh, but there is uh, a good chunk of prison stuff, uh, and the use of like like different colors like pink and things like that so i think there's some connections you could make to like grand budapest with paddington too it's got a similar aesthetic Mm. is what i would say uh but there's that um it's got our boy brendan gleason in paddington too and he is just he's not my delight you don't like brendan gleason i what's wrong with you he's i'm indifferent to brendan gleason what do you feel about uh mr suave himself hugh grant also indifferent. I think uh, I think you might be an outlier on this one. You might like one more than two, but I still think you would like two. Uh, two two is very good. Uh, I think you would like it. It's got some great stuff, and yeah, it's a prison movie. So I think you should watch it sooner than later. Well, I wonder if Paddington Three will be in space. That'd be awesome. Uh, the only thing I, I'm kind of bummed out is that, like, I know Paddington Two did um, like pretty good. I think it had tons of like well it had tons of critical acclaim. I don't know how that yeah. translated in a box into the box office, but it really bums me out that Marvel movies make over a billion dollars where when it's like, you know what should have made a billion dollars? Mm-hmm. Paddington. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure, Jarrett. But uh I think Paul King is tapped to do Pinocchio next, which begs me to question what happened to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's it's coming, isn't it? I don't know. I think, well, his is animated, I think. Okay. I don't know. Who cares? But uh, I love these movies, and I think Paul King is really good. So I would love to see more. Nice. Yeah. So then I just have one more for you, Jer. Mm hmm. So I watched uh, a little Stephen King number from our friend, Mr. John Carpenter. That's right. Christine. And it's his birthday today, too. Who's Stephen King or John Carpenter? John Carpenter. It is John Carpenter's birthday. It was Stephen King's like a week ago. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually, uh, I didn't watch it because of that, but that's funny. Um, I just finished Christine on the audiobook, uh, and I, I really liked it. But the reason I was listening to it, I was like, well, I've never seen Christine. And Christine gets pretty positive buzz on uh, the movie things. Uh, so I watched it, uh, and I liked it. It's got some really good stuff, like... I think the obvious things are that John Carpenter is just like, I don't know. I I like John Carpenter so much. I think he's his style and direction. He's like so smooth. And uh, the sound design in Christine is, is wicked. Like all of the, the, my favorite is just like when the headlights come on and it's like that, that kind of drop sound like twilight zone where it's like, (laughs) yeah, like you, you know, it's like, Oh, something supernatural just happened. Cause that sound has a, uh, has entered the uh, movie so that stuff's really good and i think john carpenter does a really good job kind of polishing up the story a little bit uh because the christine book i thought was good it's not like all-time bang or stephen king or anything like that 
uh, he does wander a little bit like he he tends to do. So um, John Carpenter, I think, did a good job focusing on the things that were important and like trimming away some of uh, the fat from the book, um, which I think is what a lot of people have a hard time doing with Stephen King stuff is actually adapting his book in a good way, like translating it to film because people either focus on the wrong things or they don't put enough of certain aspects in there and they leave things out. I think this is a pretty, pretty faithful adaptation. Um, he does leave some stuff out, but I think it's the right stuff. The only times that I thought it kind of worked against it was there were certain instances where he was like, he probably should have pulled a little bit more from the book because in the movie, like I'm pretty sure people are familiar with Christine, but in the movie eventually gets to the point where like the, the best friend and the girlfriend of Arnie who has Christine, they're like, we got to get rid of this car. It like this car is a monster. And in the book, it's set up way, way more and a lot more structured where both of them have instances where they're like more than one where they're like, holy shit, this car is really weird. And then then they start to doubt a little bit more. Where in the movie, it's kind of just like Arnie turns into an asshole and they're like, fuck Arnie. Let's blow the fuck out of his car. And I feel like that comes kind of comes kind of out of nowhere. You're just like, well, I know Arnie's being an asshole, but it's no reason to like want to destroy this guy's car. You don't even they've never seen it do any like alive stuff. Not really. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely one of the better Stephen King adaptations and I was when I was watching it at the end I was like you know what this is the movie that like Mick Garris has been trying to make for like 20 years and he just <laughs> fails horribly at it every time mm-hmm. but it's it's like faithful enough that I would say 85% of the movie are what the book did and John Carpenter actually achieves like trans like I said translating it from book to film he does a really good job at that uh, and then the, the other 15% is just you got to leave it out because you don't have fucking nine hours to tell the story or it, it's not as important. So, and that's, I, I think the pro probably the, the only way you can adapt his stuff in the movie medium is finding a nice compromise by sticking to it, having the important stuff and trying to cut out what you don't think. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Uh, the only other thing in Christine that's pretty funny is uh, how laughably old all of these high school students are. Like the bully, he's like 45 years old and he looks like he he's in porn. Uh, and then I was watching this with Andrea too and she's like, who are these actors? I was like, I don't think anybody. I was like, I'll check it out. And I pulled up their IMDb's and I was like, whoa, these guys have aged horribly. <laughs> uh, like the two lead males. The, when you look, watch them in Christine, they're like, yeah, they're cute, like kids. And then looking at them now, they're just very unfortunate looking adults. <laughs> and I'll let you fill in those gaps. But anyways, that's me being judgmental on appearance for a little bit. And that's all I watched. What a twist. What a twist. So there you go, Jared. Tell me all about your new war movies. New Unless you have anything to add on Christine. No, it's been forever since I've seen Christine. Um, I think I've only ever seen it the one time. It didn't leave that much of an impression. It was just like kind of a fine 80s kind of like horror thing um it's, it's not got your, great parts yeah it's not top tier carpenter i don't mm-hmm. i think that goes without say but uh i mean yeah. i've got the blu-ray of it somewhere kicking around i should maybe watch it one of these yeah. days maybe i'll do a, a carpenter rewatch i don't know you should it's got great parts it's just on the on the whole it's it's whatever yeah yeah 
Well, there's nice. a whole lot of whatever in this world, isn't there, RJ? Well, you're you're listening to it. Yeah. So I watched uh, non-noir. I did watch a documentary on Netflix mm-hmm. called Struggle, The Life and Lost Art of Sukolski. So this is a documentary about this Polish artist uh, that mm-hmm. uh, comics, underground comics historian Glenn Bray kind of befriended back in the 60s, 70s, I guess. And he's just like this like old European sculptor and uh, who just like kind of had kind of fallen off of the art scene radar. And uh, this is a documentary about his work and his life. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people like kind of talking pretty highly about this, saying it's like one of the best documentaries they've seen all year. Um, and uh, I don't know. Coming out of like an art school, uh, watching documentaries about art artists – it's always mm-hmm. like it's always tough because, especially the Netflix formula of documentaries that I've talked about in the past that I find yeah. really tough to get into. This was okay. Um, I kind of had this on while I was sitting here drawing away, and uh, I'd look up and like, oh, cool, that looks neat. But there's like it's so many talking heads, and the mm-hmm. reason this thing got made is because uh, one of the this Sukolski's uh, buddies was is Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. Uh, George DiCaprio? I can't remember what his name is. It's such a boring name. Well, so, yeah. Compared to Leo? You should look up his dad. So he looks like Tom Savini. uh, I'm not going to do that. And, yeah, this is, like, one of those things that, like, no one talks about old Leonardo DiCaprio, (laughs) that he had, like, all these, like, kind of, like, art kind of connections in Los Angeles that kind of probably Mm. helped prop his uh, career up in the early days to, to get him going. Could be. Uh, they both have big ovally heads, and uh, but yeah, that, there's like this like so. Leonardo DiCaprio is also one of the producers on this film that Netflix, because you know Netflix just loves documentaries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So to me, this is just very middle of the road kind of documentary filmmaking. Um, there's a bunch of like underground artists that pop up here and there, and I'm like, oh, cool, I know who that is. Uh, like Jim Woodring, who actually I, I like his art quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy's stuff, it's just like, I don't know, it seems very much of its time. Like, I, to me, like they're trying to talk about it like he was like blowing dicks off left and right. But, uh, well, I, but it's like, I don't know, he seemed pretty well of the era. And, uh, of course, there's like this, mm-hmm. but then, but then there was the secret. He, he fooled us all. I couldn't believe he had done this. And it's like, oh, yeah, when he was like in Poland uh, in the 30s, he was talking about like, getting the Jews out of the country and uh, doing what getting the Jews out of the country. Uh, oh, it's like, okay. Oh, anti-Semitism. Okay. That's, that's fun. Um, so then of course he changed his tune uh, after world war two and mm-hmm. uh, renounced that idea and stuff like that. And was very mad about what was going on in Poland, becoming a communist country. He had no place to go from there. Mm. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <sighs> The art stuff that he does, it's like, yeah, a bunch of his sculptures were all, like, destroyed because it was degenerate art and just wasn't in mm-hmm. favor and what, you know, things got bombed to shit in Europe, RJ. And uh, t- in some ways, like, I felt like the whole time when I was watching this that the documentary had its other hand in my wallet. Like, it was trying to be, like, mm. it, it was, because, like, this Glenn Bray guy who's involved with this heavily, he's, mm-hmm. like, the executor of, like, the estate and everything. So he, like, they've managed to, like, track down some of the... Um, 
cast, a bronze cast, not bronze cast, but like molds for some of these sculptures that were destroyed. And so like they're redoing them in bronze, just as Solowski would have wanted. But like, mm. it's like, well, how much do you sell those things for? They don't mention that part. And it's just like, oh, this is the sort of thing that like, sure, like you, I probably, I don't know if I question that these guys cared about this dude, but it's just like, it's there's an element of like creating a market for an artist when you control all of the artwork in it and uh you you gain money from making this thing become a thing you're like this this could rewrite art history you get like proclamations like that and then like you get annoying uh talking head uh documentary mm. things where like you have like this like music like over mm-hmm. someone talking and then the music cuts out and then they say something funny and it sucks. I hate that shit. It, I don't know. The, 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 Isn't that how you edit this podcast together? With this music. And then I go. Bow, 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 bow. It's like a record stop. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Ugh. It, that's what all these. And that's what all the Netflix documentaries are like. All of them. And uh, that's probably why I don't enjoy them. Because they all feel the exact same. They don't have any mm-hmm. character anymore. It seems like this particular like middle of the road formula has been struck. And they just stick to it. Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this that was like a documentary I watched, and I don't know. It, it illustrates a lot of problems I have. It wasn't bad or anything like that, but it was just kind of there. Uh, kind of like us. Yep. And then I watched uh, an Arrow film, uh, a Joe Diamato film called "Death Smiles on mm. a Murderer." Uh, Joe Diamato sure. makes a whole lot of trashy things, like mm. a tour of the Fighting Eagle. Um, and Cannibal, Emmanuel type of movies. Didn't he do that movie, the Necrophilia movie, or is that someone else? That's a different person. If you're is his name that. like Joe Diamato? Uh, Not Necromantic, but remember that movie you made me watch one time? For during Crypto. I'll figure it out. You keep no, talking. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, so this is like a period piece. Like I thought like Klaus Kinski was in this or was going to be in a lot more. He was like mm-hmm. barely in it. This movie I found it's it's kind of like Joe Diamato is like a very much like a Jess Franco type of guy. He's mm-hmm. like he has these like literary aspirations. Like he wants to be like a greater filmmaker than he is. Um, but there's just like the material so cruddy. And uh, this film, in between uh, the like real long moments of boringness and characters just wandering around, and I like there's points I had no idea what the story was about. I couldn't tell you what was going on. It was just like mm-hmm. characters talking. I'm like, is she dead? Is she supposed to be dead or something? Or what's happening? Oh, now they're dead. But when the violence happens in this, it's fantastic. Like it's like really like memorable kind of shocking moments of gore that you're just like, well, that's neat. That I, I want more of that. But uh, then it stops, and then it's like long periods of people walking around in period dress on some estate, rambling on about like some sort of story that's going on. And he's just like, what is this thing? I see some people like this and like rank it highly as a Joe Diamato film as far as they go. Mm-hmm. But man, I don't know. I got this for like fairly cheap off somebody on Facebook. <laughs> so whatever. But you, you bought a movie off someone on Facebook? I did. Like when? Like when did you do that? Like a couple months ago. <laughs> do you, did you feel safe when you do stuff like that? Yes. Was this in real life or like you bought it on it you bought me. it online and then it like, was shipped to you? It was shipped to me. Guys from Ontario. But did you feel safe doing that? Yeah, because RJ, there's this thing called PayPal. I, I know you, you're not familiar <laughs> with PayPal, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty uh, pretty safe bet when you do it properly. Just don't send money as uh, friends and family in your cover. Just. 
it just doesn't sound safe. Okay. If you want to be on this podcast, uh, Sam Sanchez or uh, Frank in the future or, you know, Oliver or Josh, whatever, put $50 in an envelope and mail it to me. I don't trust PayPal. I don't want any internet stuff. Even being on this right now is making me uncomfortable. So just send me your money, cash. And that's it. Yeah. Don't even put a name on the envelope. Just just put it in a blank it'll envelope. It'll make its way to just me. Just put it in a slot and uh, let let it sort itself out. It'll make its way. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. That's the type of person I'm dealing with here, folks. Hey, I am awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so... Mm. No, you know what was awesome, RJ? This film I watched called Gaslight. I saw that you rated this quite highly, and I never knew. Uh, I heard about this that that's where the term or the term gaslighting came from. Yeah. Is it true? Uh, Can you confirm? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not a linguist. I don't know the history of words. But, well, uh, so this film. Tell me more. So it's a period piece. Stars that mm-hmm. Ingrid Bergman. She's a, a creep alumni. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, the problem with this movie is that the plot itself is, like, really stupid. But the okay. but the scene, like, the actual act of watching this movie and watching the scenes play out, they're amazing. They're, like, mm-hmm. just vicious, brutal things. You're just, like, I don't know. I was just cringing at this the, the villain's performance in this because he's just such a piece of shit. Um and how then, how big of a piece of shit? Like, what are we talking? Like Baylog size. Whoa, 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 whoa! It's pretty big boots to fill, baby. Are you, no. Can you stand behind that? <laughs> I think so. So, mm. uh, Ingrid Bergman, uh, when she's like a teenager, her aunt is killed, and mm-hmm. uh, she's kind of like was in the house when it happened. She didn't see anybody. Whoever did, it's on the loose. And so mm-hmm. they're like, "Well, you can't stay here anymore. We're going to ship you off to." Italy and you're going to go do music schooling and Mm. that's like it so it jumps ahead 10 years and now she's like a young woman she's kind of like finished up doing her voice lessons and all that and but she's been swept off her feet by this this older man and uh, mm-hmm. they, they hook up they get married and then he's like oh let's oh he's like kind of like oh, we should go somewhere. She's like, well, I have this place we could go to in England, but I don't know if I feel comfortable. He's like, oh, that sounds great, because he doesn't apparently know about what's happened. Mm-hmm. And so they move back to England, and um, sure enough, they're they're settling in. But that's like when things start getting weird with this guy. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious that you're like, oh, he, like, apparently killed his the aunt. And, but it's like, you mm-hmm. don't know how that happened or, like, what's going on. But, like, the whole thing is that He's just like doing all these things, like long-term plotting of like making her think she's going crazy. And that's the whole movie is just like, because what happened was, so he's this like scumbag who wanted this aunt's jewels. And Mm -hmm. he, I guess, broke in or like he was like a musician himself. And like he really was obsessed with getting this money and being rich off in Czechoslovakia. And uh, he like wound up killing her. 
in a rage and then he had to like leave mm-hmm. and so he like he left it all behind but over like the course of like 10 years he was just like, continuously obsessed with getting these jewels and so the best way of course of doing that is by like finding the, the niece seducing her marrying her going all the way back to the house and then like proceeding to drive her crazy so that like she doesn't think there's anything weird with him like digging around in this like gigantic attic in the top of the house looking for these jewels okay see the movie's mm-hmm. like the plot itself is like dumb like it's just like this is so like over, I'm following along so far over thought out but all the scenes of like him driving Ingrid Bergman crazy and like mm-hmm. doing all the small the small stuff of just like oh you're so forgetful she's like what are you talking about oh you, you don't even remember and he starts off that way and it keeps building and he's like starting to create this image of this woman who's like like fragile and she doesn't want to go in public because he's but he's like working at her in this slow way he's like he hires new staff on to like take care of the house and it's one of them is played by Angela Lansbury Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, oh yeah, she's not very well. And she kind of forgets herself. And so you, you kind of get this weird thing where all these characters are looking at her behaving in this weird way, but it's because he's working it from all these multiple angles and you're just watching him do this. And like his like ability to like always be like one step ahead, or even like when he's like about to be like found out, he just starts scheming something else. And it's just brutal to watch. Like the writing and like the whole like setup of this movie, like him going through all these steps to like accomplish mm-hmm. his goal are like amazing and they're brutal. Like but he's just so vicious with it. And you're like watching her like breaking down and like, starting to accept it. Um, and then there's like stuff that like, comes later on in the film that plays off of his uh, driving her crazy. And then she, she starts like almost like living the gimmick of where she is playing to that. Uh, it's there's just such brilliant stuff in that. Like you can kind of see where this idea of like gaslighting, I guess, could have come from this because it this movie mm-hmm. captures it really, really well. And uh, I think we're going to wind up talking a little bit about that uh, later on when we get to the Criterion movie this week about gaslighting. Yeah, we might. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that sounds really cool. And I, I to be honest, I wasn't really listening that much, but it's because I kind of want to watch it based on your just your your initial response so i was kind of tuning you out jared that's fine but i'm sure i hope other people are listening and uh you know what i i was doing some investigating while you're talking and i was right it was joe damato that i was talking about for his movie beyond the dumpness uh what's its aka beyond the darkness oh, that movie's awesome uh no yeah, that movie is dumb. Oh, it's wicked. And that is the necrophilia movie of which I was referring to. Oh, yeah. That that necrophilia movie. Such a... Yes. But I was right. You were a... talking about Joe D'Amata. Yeah. That's his best movie. Beyond the Darkness? Yeah, that movie's great. That's a bummer if that's his best movie. I'd, I'd say so. It's his... Oh, it's such a great movie. More than Ator? What about The Crawlers? Oh, that movie's terrible. The Crawlers looks way cool, oh, way no. better than Beyond the Darkness. Oh, I've seen it, RJ. Actually, I have that. What about in all a this Scream porn? Factory four pack. Well, there's this porn. That's neither here nor there. That's where the uh, Jess Franco comparisons kind of kick in. Oh uh, well, you tell me when you get to Blue Angels Cafe, because that looks like porn. That looks good. Yeah, that's your speed. Yeah, just normal porn. Okay. So <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> I, I was just looking at his porn stuff, and there's a movie called Delizia, D E L I Z I A, mm. from 1986, and yep. the the entire synopsis on Letterbox just says Italian movie. <laughs> 
Good stuff. There you go. Good stuff. Okay, keep going. What okay. what else did you watch? Uh, I watched this movie called The Big Combo. Uh, this year movie. Uh, it's got Richard Conti, uh, a very Italian man. Uh, he's the villain in this one. Um, it's just like your kind of cop procedural where there's a cop who's like, I'm spending all the cops, all the police resources to like get this guy. I know he's dirty, but he's but he's one step ahead. He's vicious. So when mm-hmm. things come up, he's willing to drop a person to make sure that they're not going to be around to talk anymore. So this cop's just struggling to deal with that. Um, so he doesn't have the department backing him, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, the the highlights of this movie now, because it's been a few weeks since I watched it. Or like just like some like sometimes these noir movies they introduce like some really like they can't do like overt violence but they can kind of like it's fun when the writers come up with like really messed up ways of like doing violent things without anything physically happening. Uh, mm-hmm. And this particular one, um, one of the goons, he's got a hearing aid, um, and he during like this interrogation they're like kind of roughing him up and like trying to get him to talk and he's not. So Richard Conti shows up, he takes off his goons hearing aid and he puts it on to uh, the cop and he proceeds to like, just like turn it up all the way and just Ooh. starts yelling in his ear. And it's just like, Oh, <laughs> it's like, I like that. Yeah. It's like, fuck, that's awesome. Like what a good idea. And they're just like fucking with them. Uh, and then they do the old fashioned, like make him drink a whole bunch of like, what did they, what did they pour something that's like, alcoholic in nature down his throat to like just get him drunk and like make him make him an ass of himself like and it's harsh. like they won't even believe they, they, this ever happened because you were just stinking drunk <laughs> that kind of thing oh. and then uh, of course uh right people wrong people get killed uh the hearing aid thing comes up later where uh the the one goon he's like ready to like uh just mess up the Richard Conte because he's just like a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the tables turn on him and he's like begging for his life after talking all big. And then he's like, Ooh, come on. And he's like kind of walking up against the brick wall, the big spotlight on him. And uh, Richard Conte is like, hey, I'll, I'll do you a favor. Uh, I'll make sure you don't hear it when it happens. And he takes off his hearing aid and then they cut to like just gunfire without sound. So good. Uh, some, some nice magic filmmaking right there. When was this movie made? Uh, 50 something. And you recommend it? Yeah, it's it was good. Uh, I'm, I've got my list right here. It was 55. Is it bad that when you said the big combo, all I could think of was like fast food and like KFC were like a big crunch combo and something like that? That's like the, I'm not. Frank, Frank has confirmed that I'm not super fat. <laughs> However... That's like you said the big combo and I, I totally just stopped listening. I was like, I could really go for some food. <laughs> you know, you know, when Donald Trump had all that fast food in the White House. Yes. And, and he's talking about like he's really interested to see how much is left over. Do you think it's because he was like excited to see how much was like going to be left over for him to eat? Fuck yeah. If anytime have you ever had a, like a house party or like guests over, Jarrett? Never. Have you ever gone to like uh, you don't like Thanksgiving, but like say you went to a family event where the meal was just like your favorite, like say it was like Chinese food takeout or something Were you ever just like, I really hope no one eats that much so I can take all the rest home. Mm, No, (laughs) every Thanksgiving, because I'm a normal person who loves Thanksgiving. I'm always just like, I really hope there's a ton of leftovers and I'm going to take all of them. 
So I totally understand what he means. That makes total. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. So uh, you were watching movies, hey? What else did you out there? Uh, well, I watched Whirlpool. Uh, this is an Otto Priminger film. Uh, the high the highlight of this one is it's actually so it's really funny. I watched Big Combo. I watched Whirlpool randomly right afterwards, and it, mm-hmm. it also has Richard Conte. Uh, he's like a good guy in this. He's just like a a psychologist, and um, his wife it turns out is a kleptomaniac, um, and this knowledge falls into the hands of uh, the actor Jose Ferreira, aka uh, Albert's dad, Miguel Ferreira from Twin Peaks. Uh, so his dad was an actor and in this, he's awesome. He is like this, the erudite scheming piece of shit, uh, hypnotist <laughs> who, uh, who's got some big schemes brewing. Uh, the writing of his character is so good. Uh, mm. again, another movie though, where the plot itself, when you start explaining it is just like, it's so stupid. Uh, but it's like a lot of fun to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, like all good noirs. And movies, they should be fun to watch mm-hmm. uh, when they're this type of thing anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway, so she's a kleptomaniac. Uh, she starts seeing this um, guy who, like, kind of saw her or, like, get in this confrontation at this department store where she's stolen something, even though she's rich. She's just a thief, though. Um, and he's like, well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll diagnose you. I'm a, I'm into that psychoanalysis. <laughs> and uh, and I'll help you because, I mean, obviously you don't want your husband to know about it, but I can help you in a way that maybe uh, yeah. he wouldn't be able to because you're willing to talk to me about it. But, like, you have this, like, there's this angle where you feel like he's, like, a sleaze who's, like, trying to, like, get in her panties. But, uh. no, he, he's just a uh, criminal mastermind who's trying to cover up a previous uh, screw job on a woman that he was trying to fleece her of all her money. He's all about money. He doesn't care about women, but mm. uh, he's willing to play those angles to get what he wants, which is wealth, I guess. Jarrett style. Jarrett style. And, uh, yeah, so this movie just kind of plays out in that thing involving hypnotism and uh, people mm-hmm. being strangled, wrong people being accused of crimes, and trying to, like, sort out how he could have done this. And it's amazing. <laughs> uh, it's just like, because like, you're like, when they come to the point where you're like, well, I guess he, like, had to leave so, oh, spoilers so in this movie uh jose ferrera his like gimmick is that he's like hypnotizes this woman so that she's going to go to the house of the woman that he's going to kill because he's trying to like uh basically take over the estate or something like that or make it so this money problem goes away mm-hmm. but like he's going to have like an appendix out in hospital at the same time. So it's like, well, it's impossible that he had anything to do with it. But in fact, what he does is he hypnotizes himself after he's had the surgery to feel no pain. And then he goes off (laughs) and kills her. And Mm. then he comes back to the hospital and then they're like, oh, he's got some weird infection and things reopened. That's kind of weird. But it's like because he did it. And then the end of the movie, you actually see when he hypnotizes himself to feel no pain. Uh, It's I don't know. It makes sense to me. It's it's hilarious. It's like there's got to be an easier way to do all this. Like, but alas. uh, But yeah, Jose Ferrer totally makes this one for me. Uh, Mm. It's it's okay. Uh, most of these movies, it's like n- none other than Gaslight. None of these have been like wow, amazing, but they're all like mm-hmm. so easy to watch because they're just like well crafted, well told uh, pieces of genre filmmaking. Uh, Pitfall is the one that I'm kind of foggy on. I do. Uh, this one's got mm, Raymond Burr uh, of oh, our of, favorite Godzilla of, fame. of Godzilla, King of the Monsters fame. 
Mm-hmm. Perry Mason himself, uh, he again plays like a heavy dirtbag PI. He's got uh, eyes for this uh, woman. That he's like kind of like a private investigator for an insurance company. Uh, he's hired by Dick Powell to go follow uh, Elizabeth Scott, uh, who's like dated like the wrong guy who's running some insurance schemes. And now Dick Powell has got to step in and like kind of repossess this stuff. Uh, and of course, but she's a, she's a real Fox. Dick Powell is like a bored middle American guy. who's like tired of living the American dream with his wife mm-hmm. and son. And, uh, but he's like totally into Elizabeth Scott and uh, Raymond Burr is not liking this at all because he he wants a piece of her and if you like look at what raymond scott looked like or raymond scott raymond bird looked like uh in this period of time he's like he's got these big dark rings under his eyes big <laughs> heavy set goo and this guy's like i don't know he's messed up uh there's the one movie he's in that's really good too uh black D- uh dahlia or, or delilah the uh, uh black D- the josh hartnett blue, one blue blue dahlia jesus blue, blue. i can't remember it's like that there's a or Bert gardenia Blue Gardenia? Oh, fuck, I can't remember. Burt Gardenia? Blue. You went from Black Blue. Dahlia to Burt Gardenia? Blue. Blue Gardenia. What are you on about over there? <laughs> Blue Good Lord. Gardenia. It's a Fritz Lang movie. And, uh, sure, sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, so Pitfall. Uh, anyways, Dick Powell gets involved with the wrong lady, and then uh, Elizabeth Scott... Her, uh, her boyfriend's getting out of prison, and he's heard all about this going on, and uh, he means to do some harming about it. To do some what? Harming. Um, was it hot, this movie? Was it was there... hot? Double two T's? Yeah. Um, was there any sex scenes? Mm, no, because it's like 1948, and like husband and wife have to sleep in two separate beds. Did you see Raymond Burr with his shirt off? No. No, he just like, you, he beats hmm. people up. He gets beat up. <laughs> Would you have wanted to see him with his shirt off? No. He's not in my top 10 of dudes I want to see with their shirt off. How does he compare to Cary Grant? Well, who can be Cary Grant? Level of handsome? Yeah. <laughs> mm, he's like the real Paul Giamatti of the uh, 1950s heartthrobs. No, I, wouldn't, I don't know about that. Brandon Bird's got some like intimidation to him i don't know about uh paul giamatti like danny trejo he, paul Giamatti's like a peter laurie type yeah kind of yeah kind of what are we talking about right now noirs oh yeah 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 so how many more did you watch like a hundred three because I, 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 I drew a bunch this weekend instead of uh watching well, movies where the sidewalk finish it yeah where the sidewalk ends auto preminger uh this has got dana andrews gene tierney all your favorites. Uh, this oh, is about, sure. This is a cop on the edge. He just likes to beat people, and the, the uh, his lieutenant's like, "Hey, you should stop doing that." And he's yeah. like, "Whoa, they're just scumbags anyway." He gets demoted, and he's like real pissed off about that. Um, so they're chasing down some guy for because someone's mysteriously died who uh, was making some bets, and uh, one thing led to another, and it's like, who killed him? They're trying to blame it on the guys who did it. They're trying to blame uh, a drunk, hothead guy that nobody knows just because whatever. Uh, This cop follows him, accidentally kills him, and, of course, realizes, oh, no, now I've accidentally killed somebody. This is going to look really bad. Now I'll be really <laughs> demoted. So he has to, like he starts trying to cover up his crimes uh, and, like, lots of body dumping and stuff like that, all that sort of fun stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was again fine, but like that's about all I really remember is like him like sneaking around carrying like a big body over his shoulder and pretending to be the guy when he needs to be. Uh, keeping this idea that he's this the suspect who's not even the real suspect is alive all over town, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of there. It's um, pretty good, hey? Yeah. Uh, Angel Face uh, mm. is a movie. <laughs> and uh, Does it have like old style New York mobsters? No, not this one. Uh, <sighs> no. So no. why call yourself Angel Face then? What's Angel the point? Angel Face. Well, it's because it's about uh, Robert Mitchum, who's fallen for Gene Simons, who you'll remember from Spartacus. Uh, and actually mm. a few other uh, Criterions that we've watched, like... Black Narcissus, Great Expectations, Hamlet, lots of stuff. He's in those movies, or she, there's people from those. She movies? RJ, she is in those movies. Who are we? What are we talking about? Gene Simons, an actress in movies. Oh, when I thought you, when you said Gene Simon, <laughs> I was thinking of like Gene Hackman. Or Gene, like Gene, I knew Gene I knew Simmons. it wasn't. Yeah, I knew it wasn't Gene Hackman, but I was like, oh, that's what I pictured. I was like, an old bald yeah, guy yeah. is in all these movies. What are we doing? I don't know what you're doing. I don't um, know. This movie's about uh, Robert Mitchum. He's an ambulance driver. And he uh, keeps getting these calls from this house where these, like, two old people are, like, almost dying from monoxide and gas. And there's some, like, uh, illusions that, oh, maybe their daughter's trying to kill them. But she's, so, she's got an angel's face, RJ. And uh, Robert Mitchum's fallen mm-hmm. for her. And, they're, of course, they're a rich family, and they're, but they're very oppressive. And it seems like they're also spending all their money, but they're willing to help him out, build a, a garage. But... The highlight of these movies, of this mm-hmm. particular movie, is these insane car crashes that happen involving cars, brakes not working, and accelerants, and cars flying off cliff sides with people in them. Mm. They're just like, ins- <laughs> they're so like wild. Well Cause done. Because you're, you're not expecting them. Like, they're just uh. like, they just hit, and you're like, what the fuck? And it happens <laughs> twice in the movie. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, that's the end of the movie. Good God, it's just like, how do you mm-hmm. show violence? And it's like, well, that's one way. And you can have people die horrifically, but you don't have to show anything. And it's just like, oh, yeah, they're dead. Uh, yeah, those uh, those car crashes are definitely the highlight of Angel Face, which, uh, yeah, I don't know. Robert Mitchum is sometimes in these movies. Like, um, there's this one uh, Western that I, I tried watching called Pursued. I don't know. He just sometimes just, he's my Cary Grant. Because, uh, as you recall, Robert Mitchum's also in that classic Night of the Hunter. and uh, Oh, is that's him? Yeah. Night of the Hunter sucks. <laughs> when are we going to talk about that? In, like, two years? Yeah. Oh, like I four, can't wait like until people four, shit four, all over four, you. Four years. For that. Yeah. Well, we're, we're building up anticipation then, I guess. <laughs> right? Is that how this works? Yeah, anticipation. RJ mm. doesn't know who anybody is and has opinions on movies. Well, you're just like, oh, uh, Robert Mitchum, uh, Blue Gardonias, uh, Gene Hackman. Uh. Like, how am I supposed to keep up with this stuff? <laughs> Gene Hackman. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> like, how? how? How is anyone supposed to be expected? Movies. RJ, you're supposed to be a person who likes movies. I like movies. Sure. Like Paddington. Paddington's awesome. If you don't like Paddington, then fuck you. That's what I have to say. <laughs> fuck you. How's that sound? Sounds Baby. sounds great. Nice. One more for you, and then I'm caught up. Okay. Tomorrow is another day. Were you aware of that, RJ? 
like different from today or just like a separate day? Is this another day? Yeah, I think I... You can always I mean, start over, you know? Sure. And that's kind of what this movie is about. Directed by yeah. Phil- Felix E. Feist. Felix E. Feist? Yeah, that's right. It's a made-up name for sure. It's so... That can't be it's, real. It's a beautiful name. Felix E. Feist. So, so this is a movie about a guy who uh, he killed his dad. He went to jail in the Prohibition era. He's been, been in the slammer for 18 years, and now he's just getting out. And uh, he goes back to his hometown, and uh, it's like, well, he's got a welding skill, but uh, soon enough, some enterprising uh, journalist covers that this guy's out and loose in town. And uh, so he's pissed off. Now he's got to go to a bigger city where he can be more anonymous. Um, but he also wants to meet a lady. And so he meets, there's like old end times, you'd have like those dance halls where you'd pay a dime for a dance for like a minute. I can only imagine like the, I don't know what the equivalent to that is nowadays. Um, I've, I've been off that like date. A, I've been off that dating scene for like 15 years. So like the gin social. Yeah. Do you mean Tinder? Tinder. Is that, or what, are you talking about like real meetups? Well, I mean, just like to meet people, I guess and that isn't online. What would be like? Uh, you're, I mean, unless you're at Burger King, I don't think there's any place to meet people in real life anymore. Damn, so you gotta stick to Tinder. Um, I guess, but I feel like that's already evolved into something it wasn't meant to be. Mm. People are like, I'm only here to date. And then other people are like, but I'm here for boning, baby. That's what I've read on the internet, at least. I don't know. Okay. Yep. Well. What were you talking about? Tomorrow is another day. Oh, yeah, sure. So So how is that dating scene? Well, he meets a floozy. Mm -hmm. But he's like giving her like the hard sell. He won't leave her alone. Very pushy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess she kind of takes some, like, pit, like pity out on him. Uh, and so they kind of, like, start hanging out a little bit. But, of course, she's kind of got a pimp and who's, mm-hmm. like, also a detective from the police. And he accidentally gets shot, gut shot. And uh, it's like he, like, the guy, our protagonist, thinks he did it, but he actually didn't. There was the girl mm-hmm. in self-defense. But they go on the lam. They go uh, across country. They wind up picking lettuce out in California trying to, to, live, what end? to, to make a living, man. Cause tomorrow's oh, okay. another day. You know, you just gotta like pick yourself up by your like denim and, mm-hmm. uh, put that grease in your hair, live life on the road. It's like a Kerouac novel. And then sure. of course, uh, also takes this one, uh, article to come out in a true crime magazine that the wrong family and your like <laughs> little, uh, lettuce picking plantation, sees and now they're like ooh thousand dollar reward that guy looks an awful lot like jimmy next door ooh and then of course they create this like ridiculous situation where it's like the family's being pressured to like go tell the cops and get that thousand dollar reward what would you do um probably not whatever the movie does which is like be snitches yeah man you can't be doing that shit to your family but they're not family. They're complete strangers. They don't know any. Oh. They don't owe anybody nothing. Well, then maybe I would probably. Yeah. I don't know. You you look like the biggest snitch in the world, actually. I mean, if if it was you or me, I'd give you up nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. You don't even so. use your last name on the show anymore. I'm trying not to, uh, but I did do a Google search the other day when you Google my name, and thankfully, I've been involved in uh, some academic papers and that is uh the first like two pages of results when you search my name so 
It's not, bad. Not, not a bad way to go. Maybe I'll start using it again. Email in if you want me to use my full name. <laughs> well, I'll have to start using those uh, tags differently, I guess. What do you tag? Oh, you'll see. For my searches? Oh. Don't tag me to you, though, because you have so much compromising material in your house that I can't get it be associated with you. <laughs> That's right. That's it for movies for me. Hey, RJ, got any, got any news for us? I got some big news for you, baby. Did you hear that Jason Reitman is making a sequel, a sequel to Ghostbusters that will actually take place in the original universe, they say. Mm. You know what that means? Dan Aykroyd. Yep. Dan Aykroyd, baby. He's back. He's going to be smoking cigarettes in a dark room talking about conspiracy theories. Sounds awesome. Do you think uh, the ghost of Harold Ramis will make an appearance? Do you think that would be, it'd be tasteless? Pretty, <laughs> I was going to say it would be pretty tasteless not to. Mm. Or some kind of mention. Like, I know Bill Murray wants do, to be do, a ghost Do you think it'll it, be but... fat Harold Ramis? Hell yeah. Fat Harold Ramis was the best Harold Ramis. The director of Evolution. I like that movie. Yeah, because it has aliens or whatever the shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, anyways, that's news. Who yeah, cares? I watched that. Te- uh, I watched that teaser trailer. And, hey, did uh, you? There's not yeah. there's not much there to talk about. No, not really. But uh, yeah, it's kind of actually stunning that this thing's happening at all because it, is. it feels like this has been in development for a really, really, really long time. It has. Well, we'll see if it ruins childhoods or not. I mean, if it's an well, old male cast, or, it or should be rapes fine. them, rapes oh. childhoods. Oh, oh, that's that's why I don't use my last name on the show anymore. I, I have seen a lot of uh, a lot of comments about like, good, it'll correct that. It doesn't look like it'll have any of that feminist bullshit <laughs> because it, based on the two it, second trailer, yeah. that was nothing. Yeah, well, because it's like, well, finally, it'll be back to the what we all wanted. Yeah. Could you imagine if they did all those the four female actresses again? But they're like, this one takes place in the, the same universe. It's like the biggest swerve of them all. That'd be a, that'd be pretty ballsy. But, Ovary. hey, did you, did you watch that Spider-Man trailer, Jared? Yeah, I did, RJ. So, you know what I have issue with? What? Pe- people who don't know who Mysterio is. And there was all these fucking articles. It's like, is Mysterio the good guy? And it's oh, just like, come on. Oh, my God. Are people chumps? Oh, Yes. People are chumps, and it's like, do you not know, know, like, the borderline? His origin story is, like, just exactly what you see. It's like, oh, he's fighting, like, because it's like, okay. So, anyway. The elementals. Yeah. It's like Sandman. (laughs) It's like, oh, I wonder if Mysterio might be behind these. (laughs) It's like. Oh, it's like, hmm, the character who's known for making allusions to trick people. I wonder if he might be tricking people into thinking he's a good guy for personal gain. Mm. Is that why Spider-Man's stealth suit is in that? To mm. see through the illusions? All, all day yesterday when that trailer came out, or yesterday or the day before, all I could see was articles all over the internet. People, is Mysterio really the good guy? What's going on in this trailer? And I know, like, that's just click, for people to click, click on it, anyways. On but yeah, but still, it's like, come on, guys, come on, come on. That doesn't affect how I like how I will watch it because I know who Mysterio is. It doesn't matter. Maybe that'll be the twist. Twist though that, that he will be the good guy. Yeah, that's boring. Yeah, though. Spider Man will be the real menace, just like J. Jonah Jameson has been telling us all along. 
that's see that would be more interesting to me than anything else if actually J. Jonah Jameson was right. So, so like apparently there's like a some Spider-Man comic that came out the other week like Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man mm-hmm. and I I don't know if this is the right comic but there's something about like Aunt May finding a lump. Oh, come <laughs> on. Uh, that stuff doesn't need to be like it's like well this happens to real people it's like oh. yeah sure. Sure, that happens to real people all the time. But does that need to happen to Aunt May? No. Come on. Will Alyssa Milano find a lump in this movie too? You mean uh, Marissa Tomei? Is that the same person? I don't even Alyssa know Alyssa Milano and Marissa Tomei? No, Jared. They're, they're, those they're, they're, different, they're different women? <laughs> those are not the same people, in fact. And frankly, what you just said was offensive. Hey, did you know that M. Night Shyamalan personally financed the entire $20 million budget of Glass? Hey, actually, Glass comes out in two days, and uh, maybe people will realize that Split is a really bad movie. We'll see, though. That's my news. Anyways, I'm done. Cool. Hey, do you have uh, news? Oh, I was just going to say that uh, that Spider-Man trailer is like not very good. Especially in a world after Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where it's just like this is uh, really not necessary. And live-action superhero movies are just not, not for me. Did I do I mention that I watch trailers without sound now? Because it's usually like in the morning when I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm just scrolling through Twitter, and the trailer will pop up, and I'll usually give it like 20 seconds to see if I'm interested or not, but I won't turn the sound on because that's obnoxious. And then usually I end up watching the whole thing, but it'll just be like without sound. Is that weird, or do other people do that too? Is it weird? I was listening to another podcast, and the host of that show said that they couldn't tell the difference between Tobey Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I feel like that's just like willful ignorance because they're different people and they look different. Like Marissa Tomei and Alyssa Milano? Well, that's more of a uh, linguistic flub on your part, I think. (laughs) But I don't know. Who's to say? The the conversation then turned to uh, who's the better looking one. And it's like, like it's it's pretty pretty clear. (laughs) What was the name of this uh, right wing podcast that you were listening to? Uh, the Baylog experience. Hey, 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 we are as far left as it gets, buddy. Uh-oh. Alt left. Oh, man. Or, heard uh, of, I've, I've heard, heard of the alt right, but have you heard of the alt left? No, I've heard of the control left. <gasps> well, we'll see. Painful. We'll see. Painful. Anyways, yeah, news. Movies suck. Uh, don't watch, hey, are you not, don't watch yeah. them anymore. Yep. Is that all you're going to talk about for news? That was going to talk about Ghostbusters 3. Oh, I'm, did I'm, we cover I'm, that? I have like, I loved Ghostbusters as a kid. Oh man, I loved it. Because it's like ghosts and monsters and stuff. That car- I, I like the, always like the cartoon more than the movies though. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. So is this movie infringing on your childhood or like not what's going the, on? Not in the least. It's just like Star Wars. I, these are just not movies for me. Um, the types of people who are into these things, they're really into it and who cares? I, I don't care. Mm. I'll, I'll find other good movies to watch with, with Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. You you did love the new Ghostbusters, all right? Oh, it was so unfunny. <laughs> it's the worst like thing. Like good? Un- unfunny. I, oh, I don't okay. know, as in ungood. 
Um, ungood. Ungood. Interesting, if true. Yeah. Hmm. After the break. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Are you not going to talk about the new Criterion releases? Oh, I guess. You want me to talk That's about usually, those? Hey, RJ. Know, isn't that usually what you do? Holy shit, RJ. What? Police Story 1 and 2? Yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. You know what's kind of stupid, though, is I, I already have those on Blu-ray. And I, I really don't know how much better they can look, but I know that the Blu-ray packaging will be incredible because we've seen that. It's awesome. It's uh, Jackie Chan all over the place. So those are awesome. Uh, we got A Face in the Crowd, mm-hmm. uh, which you've probably not seen. But that movie's no. really good, and uh, it's really annoying though because everyone just talks about it. Because do you know what that movie's about? No, nope. it's, it's about Matlock. Um, young oh. y- young Matlock is um, a uh, extremely popular yokel who talks really well and starts getting people really excited about politics. But it's like reactionary politics, and there's like no way that this like horrible human being could possibly get into office. And, uh, and this movie tells that story. Um, and uh, people like to say, oh, it's just like nowadays. That's kind of the go-to. But despite that cliche, uh, the movie is, in fact, excellent and uh, a worthy addition to the Criterion Collection. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had, what is it? Oh, we had some Jim Jarmusch re-releases on Blu-ray come in. A whole pile of them. Yeah, two of them? A whole pile of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, come on. Load up my thing. God, see? Well, see, this is why I was a little surprised because my I was like, this is hey, usually what Jared always talks about. Hey, another thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure this here is uh, a New Zealand pick. Correct me if I'm wrong, Oliver. <laughs> my brilliant career, uh, Jillian Armstrong. It's, hmm. it's, it's Australian or New Zealand. I don't care what the difference is. Doesn't uh, matter to us. Yeah. And uh, film Diamonds of the Night. How about that? Jan Nemec. I thought all the covers looked good, but uh, they, yeah. They do. Oh, yeah, actually, you know what? The covers are all uh, quite nice. It seems like mm-hmm. they've, been, they've been some weak covers, I'd say, the last little while. Of late? Of late. Yeah, there's been some not so hot ones, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that Jackie Chan one's awesome. Uh, I, I just heard like a couple of days ago that this was coming out uh, from Criterion. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? And then they announced them and it's like, oh, it's coming out right away in April. So, mm-hmm. yippee! Pretty cool. It's two movies I don't necessarily need to buy right away. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. I just thought you should mention it as you I normally do. Yeah, I just figured you know maybe maybe no one cares. You know. Well, we'll see if people email in. Yeah. Because <laughs> by the time I talk about it, it's like it's old news. Everyone's seen it already yeah. with graphics. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's relevant. Hey, Criterion, they they ain't paying us. Not yet. Not yet. Well, maybe I'll have to start withholding that information. Withholding <gasps> these reviews. Mm-hmm. You say, this is Spine 149. <laughs> is that where we're on now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 150 next week. <laughs> but that's next week. After the break, um, RJ and I are going to summon some spirits. And they're going to not have very good thing. Not drinking. No. Like that kind of spirits? No. Oh.
And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Juliet of the Spirits, directed by Federico Fellini from 1965. The tagline for this film, the inhibitions, the desires, the obsessions of a jealous woman held prisoner by her own dreams. Mm. And the uh, synopsis of the film, middle-aged Julietta grows suspicious of her husband, Giorgio, when his behavior grows increasingly questionable. One night when Giorgio initiates a seance among his friends, uh, Julietta gets in touch with spirits and learns more about herself and her painful past. Slightly skeptical, but intrigued, she visits a mystic who gives her more information and nudges her toward the realization that her husband is indeed a philanderer. <gasps> that is not a very accurate write-up, as uh, we've come to grow accustomed to here on the podcast. His, his, inf- yeah. his information just not there. Like, Giorgio initiates a seance, but he doesn't. <laughs> Do you think it's like, do you think it's people who actually watch the movies or is it someone who, a lot of them to me feel like someone who has explained the movie and then they uh, write it up themselves? Yeah. So I was like curious, I, uh, as you do, you, you look on Wikipedia for some general kind of notes. Uh, this movie doesn't really actually have a whole bunch. And, mm-hmm. but you know, usually tell like the movies that people really gravitate toward because they have like really long in-depth plot, like point by point plots this movie barely gets like a couple sentences and i'm like weird that's interesting it's like one of those things where i'm like do people even watch this movie or do they Mm -hmm. just talk about how much they like this movie so um i had never seen juliet of the spirits before uh Mm -hmm. i really didn't know what this was about um I kind of remember this was like on Ebert's great movies list talking about how this seems to be a movie that a lot of people consider as kind of the like jumping off point for like uh, Fellini as far as like him like making. Really? Yeah, this is the we, one. Okay, wait, I'll let you finish, but okay. I have I have something to say about that. Well, it's like because you have eight and a half uh, like mm-hmm. s- prior to this. And then like Juliet of the Spirits is the one where it's like, oh, he's just, it's like the cliche with Fellini is like he becomes like this just indulgent filmmaker who mm. just makes movies about nothing in particular. Um, and I've seen one of those types of movies. Uh, there's the one that I'm really curious to rewatch down the road, Fellini's Satyricon, which I tried mm-hmm. watching like kind of like, I think maybe even it might have been the first Fellini movie I ever watched for some reason because they had it at a video store and that was just like I did not get that thing at all. But yeah, um, yeah so this is the movie like – but so – uh, based on uh, Ebert's uh, coverage of this movie, uh, talking about how this is kind of like the flip side to Eight and a Half. So uh, Julietta Masson, uh, who plays Juliet here, it's uh, Fellini's wife. Uh, you'll remember her from Knights of Cabiria. Uh, this is the movie that's like the flip of Eight and a Half, where you get it from like the the wife's perspective of this man who's about town and uh, busy, leaving her to be at home. She's got the same haircut. Uh, as wife and eight and a half. And there's just like kind of like slight little visual cues and stuff like that. And even the structure of Juliet of the Spirits is very eight and a half ish, uh, which I'll kind of get more into. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, immediately you're hit with Nina Rota music. So, you know, you're watching a Fellini movie uh, and you get like this, like the, I don't know when you listen to this, I think of Fellini, but I also think of Woody Allen simultaneously for whatever reason because Woody Allen does so many Fellini things 
Well, he made that one Stardust Memories, and he's on record being a Fellini fan. Uh, mm-hmm. But like that st- that type of music uh, is there, and also like I guess you I even like I think I associate more with Woody Allen than I do like uh, Larry David. But Larry David uses more Nino Rota mm-hmm. and a Caribbean enthusiasm than Woody Allen did in any of his movies. I don't understand. Um, so anyway, I had never seen this before, uh, and this is a movie that I had the hardest turnaround while watching a movie. I've ever experienced in, wow. in, the, in the criterion. So watching. were you negative and then turned positive or positive turned negative? Okay. So, or can you, ex- can you elaborate so, a little bit so on I, I, whatever I, you're so talking I, about? I wound up watching this movie twice. Uh, okay. the first time I watched it, I was like, okay with it for like the first half hour. I was kind of like not feeling it though. And then there mm-hmm. came a point where I fell asleep. I like fell asleep for like, I don't know how long, but I was like kind of like forcing myself to get awake while I was watching things. And I was kind of in and out and being like, what is this? And I was just getting kind of frustrated and angry about like having to watch the movie at the time and being like, I don't Mm want to do this at all. Like I was just like, not, not like I was just (laughs) like, you know what it sounds like? What? It sounds exactly like when I was watching Knights of Kabiria. Yeah. So I, I stopped watching it. I was just like, uh-huh. okay, I, I got to take, I got to take a break. And so I, I went, did something else, uh, that evening I came back and I'm like, okay, I still have to finish watching this goddamn movie. So I sat down and, uh, I picked up and I'm pretty sure that where my next, like when I went back to it, it was, it was after the, the clairvoyant scene with Bishma, the clairvoyant, uh, it was after, uh, uh, Jose, the, uh, the special guest, but it mm-hmm. would have been, um, Basically, when the, the the chubby cat, when uh, Susie's cat shows up in the backyard, that's kind of like when I mm. kind of came back into that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was like kind of going along with it. And I was just like, what is with this movie? And I'm like, <laughs> this movie is like so like much like the, the cliche, like what people are talking about, like this is like mm-hmm. Fellini at his most indulgent. And it's like, what is this? Like, it is, <laughs> it's like all just falling apart, like before my eyes, like what? Why did why is this movie talked about in any way? I don't get it. But then like the other shoe falls for me. And like this movie hits a shift. It's very similar to eight and a half in some ways. Um so what happens is jumping ahead, uh when Juliet gets the phone call from the like private investigator she's hired and she goes mm-hmm. into the office and she sat down, she gets to watch this like film. It's so similar to the scene in eight and a half where like, it's basically uh, you're watching the embarrassment and humiliation of like being cast and watching your life kind of like play out in front of you. It plays out the same way, but it's like not a fictionalized film. It's like literally like her husband is being caught in the act of cheating on her. And mm-hmm. it's like done in this, like, uh, like all the dialogue of the investigators. It reminds me of like a Coen brothers movie where they're like very like professional and presenting it. But then they're talking about the bill and like, Oh, I hope that everything works out great for it. Anyways, we got to take care of this. And it's like, so um, bureaucratic and like totally underscoring like her, like emotional, like uh, experience watching this. And that's where the movie really takes a turn for me. That, that was like kind of like where I was like, Oh, well, that, that was interesting. Like I mm-hmm. like that, that was good. And then it kind of shifts to the, um, where she goes to like the, uh, to back to the neighbor Susie's place, uh, for the nightlife. And it's kind of, again, like this, like on this nose of like, uh, Fellini, like the costumes, the set design, <laughs> the production, the cameras, the figures mm-hmm. and the faces. It's just like, yup, this is a uh, totally Fellini. And like in the whole like crazy brothel. And, um, I was just kind of like, Okay. 
I, there's like the one the 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 houseboy the um Susie's godson with the eyebrows like mm-hmm. that that like seduction scene I was kind of like uh, I don't know about this but then she like turns on it but like at this point like I'd fallen asleep for like about 20 minutes of this movie earlier on and I was kind of like what the hell's going on but <laughs> but then RJ from mm-hmm. like the the backyard luncheon where like she's like kind of like dealing with all these people in the backyard and she starts getting the visions of like the spirits mm-hmm. from that point on this movie's amazing like it is like okay. so fucking good. I was just like absolutely like, oh man, this is like because uh, it's it's like Toby Dammit, where it's just like this crazy spiral of like images, um, and so this prompted me. I'm like, I think I have to rewatch this. I have to watch this movie a second time because just right. like, and but I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it on Canopy on a desktop, and I'm gonna screen cap the right. hell out of this thing. And so I started watching this movie again, and then suddenly like all these things watching it a second time starts snapping into place and I'm watching it in a totally different way, kind of knowing where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And there's still like the scenes in this movie that I feel like they do not work. Like the entire sequence where she uh, goes with her friends to Bishma, the clairvoyant. And she has this whole thing that kind of just reiterates everything that happened at the seance earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. That, that whole sequence, I do not like how it's done. I felt it's very draggy and kind of like incoherent. And they follow that up with, um, uh, the story where, where she's driving back with her friends and she's talking about like, oh, it, it reminds me of this, uh, or maybe that's even late earlier on. Anyway, th- she goes home and there's like uh, Jose, the special guest, like the her husband's mm-hmm. but, a work partner. And he's just like, she's like really and like, oh, he's such a sweet, sensitive man. But he's just like so melancholic and ennui <laughs> and just like rambling on. And like that seems like... I kind of I get why it's in this, but at the same time, it's like I was like, no, nah, these those two scenes still don't really work for me compared to like everything else. Where it's like watching it the second time, I was like, oh, this makes sense. I understand what's going on. I'm, I've got a better sense of this movie because Fellini does not even attempt to like explain who some of the characters are. Like mm-hmm. you have to like really uh, infer. Like there's like the there's like that first first scene at the beach and there's this like loudmouth guy just like bellowing out at her like this like very boisterous Italian man. And you realize, oh that's the doctor like he was talking about. And I'm yeah. like and like there's these things where like, oh God, I, I didn't like think about that. But also like when I tried watching this movie at the beginning, I was just like not feeling it. So I don't know how checked out it was. It wasn't until like you get those certain dream images like when she's like on the beach mm-hmm. and she kind of was like kind of like falling asleep and then you have this like old man coming out of the sea with his giant rope and that's mm-hmm. like that's awesome like it's just like that's a really nice uh, evocative moment um but anyway yeah so this movie i had like the first time watching it like that middle section boy i was just like ready to be like man this is a real miss of fellini but that <laughs> last third for me man i fucking love it it is so good um and it's like I, I've been thinking about it since then. Uh, it, it plays all the strengths of him. It's like between him and his cinematographer, who do who also mm-hmm. does a lot of work. Like the visuals are just so good. And um, I was actually thinking about Hereditary here as well. It's <gasps> like this movie that like this is what Hereditary is kind of trying to be like. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, and it comes back to the thing I've said before. It's like in another life, uh, Federico, Federico Fellini would have been an amazing horror film director. Cause he oh, does, he does visual absolutely. stuff that like, it's like, I've never, like, I don't even know what the fuck I just saw. And it's like for a second, he doesn't linger on it and it doesn't come off as funny. It comes off as disturbing. Cause it's like unexpected. So mm-hmm. anyways, um, 
that explains why I watched this movie twice on Letterboxd. RJ seemed to be very concerned about this. Um, <laughs> I, I was very taken aback. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? I was like, when have you ever watched The, the Creep twice with, with, without, in a row? Without a commentary. Yeah. I was a little thrown off, but I'm glad you elaborated a little bit. Yeah. So that's my feelings on uh, Julia of the Spirits at this time. RJ... Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very curious to uh, hear what you thought of this film. First of all, I have two questions. Yep. Are you going to watch every Criterion Creep movie twice now? Uh, I would love to if time permitted because... Don't make excuses. I would love to. Are you going to do it? No. <laughs> Good. Uh, okay. And the other thing I was... But it's just... It is interesting to hear you say... How, how much you turned and then on the rewatch how much you benefited benefited from that mm-hmm. which is probably why people always yell at me for having first time watches about movies and they're like well you got to watch it a bunch of times to appreciate it and it's like yeah i get that but at the same time like if you can't enjoy the movie the first time anyways that's a whole different thing um my other question for you when you were doing the intro to this and a lot of people are saying that this is the introduction to fellini uh, no, I don't not, really... not, not introduction. This is the end of it. This is like the downfall. No, I mean, the, uh, or... when people were talking, didn't people, did you say that people were saying this is like the, uh, the entrance point for people no. to start watching Fellini? <laughs> oh, okay. This, this is some of I that. I thought that's pat- what you said. Is, no, 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 no. This is some this of is... that patented RJ doesn't know how to listen very well. No, this is like the, the. After, this is the jumping off point. It's like this. This uh, is this is like so. Uh, I was when I was reading Ebert's essay that he wrote for this film in the early two thousands. He was talking about how uh, this is the movie that like historically people point to as like the beginning of like when Fellini becomes unwatchable, indulgent crap. This is this is the movie that I like people you, point you. to, and he was arguing that that's not the case at all. So the opposite of what you're hearing. Okay. I was listening when you were talking, but also. I sometimes fill in the blanks myself. No, if I don't hear something, this movie is the furthest, <laughs> the furthest in my mind. Okay. This well, is like, what, yeah, this is like advanced studies of Fellini. That's what I was thinking. Cause you said that. And I was like, I was like, I disagree with that completely. Oh, okay. I was like, I was you can't jump in on, <sighs> on this one. Fuck no. <laughs> well, okay. That's, that's what I was wondering. Cause I almost interrupted you. Okay. And then I was like, I'll that, just wait. I'll bring yeah, it up no, later. You, you were making weird faces and sounds there. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was like, well, okay. I was just like, that's so weird. I was like, in what world would yeah. this be the one that you start with? Like, I would think like the ship sails on would be a, a really easy like entrance point. But or like, I don't know, Amacord, whatever. But yeah, you said that or I thought you said that. And I was mm. just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll get back to the main main point here. As always, I am pretty trepidatious when we get to my man, Federico, the fart Fellini. I like Fellini for the most part. I do like that Toby Dammit. Eight and a half is pretty spectacular. I liked Amacord more than I would have wanted to. But then again, Ship Sails On I thought was okay. Knights of Kiberia, like I mentioned before. I was in a real bad mood when I watched that, even though you liked it a lot. So that left a bad taste in my mouth. And then La Dolce Vita, which I really dislike, but we'll get to that one day. Well, I don't know about dislike, but anyways, that's indulgent for me more than this thing was. 
Uh, Juliet of the Spirits, uh, I was watching it, and my first response was, I think Jarrett is going to love this movie, even within the first half an hour, Mm -hmm. uh, because that beach scene, as soon as that beach scene happened, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, this is Jarrett's kind of thing. When you see those, like, emaciated horses on a raft, and then all those... The the cargo boat of people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, ugly, naked people just, like, standing around. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, this is a this is a Jarrett pick right here. Um, you'll be pleased to hear, which I think is more more often the case than not, that I did like this movie. Uh, so the the one like I think the the weakest of uh, the Fellini films though is Variety Lights. Oh yeah, see, I didn't even remember yeah, that. See, one. that's was... the, that's the one that I'm mean, being like. That's like the that's like I mean essentially his, yeah, that that his first, that's his first film, but it's just like yeah. very like it's very there. It's nothing in It's not even that's like terrible. It's just very forgettable. No, it's, it's just whatever. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Uh, yeah, Variety Lights is nothing special. But Fellini, he's got to be like the high, the biggest hitter so far in the creep because we've he covered is. eight of his movies so far. No. Oh no, seven. Yeah, because. Uh, I was looking. I've watched nine and Spirits of the Dead. Oh, no, maybe six. Spirits of the Dead with Dolce Vita and Toby Dammit are in there. So six. Anyways, yeah, we've watched a lot of his stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Variety Lights is definitely the the low point for him just because it's, it's a movie. It's nothing more. But yes, I did like Juliet of the Spirits for a few reasons. Um, the biggest one, kind of like what you said, uh, like that beach scene is phenomenal. The garden hallucination scene is phenomenal. Uh, I love the the martyr nuns and the oh, visuals man. that come with them. Not even like that scene as a whole is so well put together, but the the way that the nuns look, like how they're completely shrouded, I think is so uh, like piercing when you when you see that. It's it's such a I don't know. It, the, the image like sticks out with me so much. And then you get into like the, uh, the confetti flames, which is, it's such a cool <laughs> technique, like such a, such a, 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 like an amazing and beautiful practical effect, which is like, man, that looks fucking great. Uh, I love that. Um, speaking of the shrouded nuns, just on a tangent for one point, I love how people are always like shrouded in, by shadows in this movie. Yes. Where, oh, yeah. Like, like, I, that was another point I wanted to interrupt you when you're like, who are these characters? Uh, like the doctor on the beach where it's like almost intentionally vague. Yeah. Uh, like with the, where, where there's certain characters, you just don't see their face. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I wonder why he's doing that. And he does it like obviously a lot like because it's always yeah. like it's because usually in a film you you light everybody you can see, always see their faces and like the someone in the foreground is lit the same as somebody in the background it's a very important detail but in this movie he's actively obs- obfuscating the faces of people in, in complete shadow like yep. where, where there's people like oh you can kind of make out the person because they didn't get complete darkness on that but like it is like a, a theme <laughs> of, of that yep. Yeah. And it's it's a very blatant, like intentional thing, because even the, the entire intro of the movie, you don't see Juliet for like two, three minutes because yes. her, her her face is in, like intentionally uh, concealed. Yeah. yeah, the camera's always moving out of the shot of her face uh, yeah. while she's trying to choose what uh, wig that she's going to wear. And there's also like near the end of the movie, like there's like all those shots of like the back of heads. And I was like, yeah, yeah eight and a half has a lot of shots of people's back of their heads. Like there's a lot <laughs> of like that going on too. And in this movie, he's like almost has this idea of like, well, 
I'm going to challenge myself by showing the front of people's face, but not actually show you their face. Yeah, it's like such an odd technique that's just like, this movie is very much about like a discompobulation because just like putting Mm -hmm. you at unease because there's like, there's angles in this that are like, they're so unnaturally shot. Like they're just framed Mm -hmm. in a way that's like, they're like when I've got so many screenshots from that final montage of the movie when she's like kind of being like brought down upon by the spirits all like basically attacking mm-hmm. the house there's just these angles you're like that doesn't make any sense but it's beautiful and like i've never seen anything shot like that quite there it's always like so perfectly composed whereas this is just like effortlessly composed in a sloppy way that looks exactly perfect yeah exactly um like that that's kind of like that's kind of what i was trying to get at too where there's certain elements like that that i think are done so well and uh, like with the constant like um, obstruction of faces and stuff like that, I would be lying if I if I said I, I knew exactly what he meant all the time. But I, 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 I don't know. I really like though, and it's kind of like what you touched on, and we've brought it up before uh, because we're fans of the genre. But I I think Federico Fellini is a way better horror director than he is anything else, and there like there's so many there's so many things that he does so much better than anyone else in like the horror genre for like what you said, creating that unease and that tension and that like discomfort because it's very like, there's a lot of things that happen very fast and there's a lot of things that like you don't understand. And I think that's what kind of makes it, that's what builds that unease into it. We're like showing the backs of heads or showing the fronts of faces, but without showing the faces where I think this movie particularly has that kind of like horror dream that like nightmare manifestation where it's, it's like there are these things that are, what are you doing over there? You're ruining the podcast. Uh, There are these things that are like made real and he does it in such an elegant way, like with the horror stuff where like, I feel like that's, I feel like you're, you're just watching his dreams where you in his dreams, he doesn't see people's faces and it's all this very kind of like blunt and fast visuals that don't really go together. And that's kind of what makes them, that's what makes them upsetting almost where it's like, the sequence of these things they don't make sense and they don't line up and yeah. that's what's he, puts he, you yeah off. he keeps the audience so much on their toes in, but he's presenting mm-hmm. a drama like because i was like i was yeah. wondering about this movie because to me i'm like this is like really feels like a horror film and i was like oh no it's like classified as like f- comedy drama and fantasy comedy yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a funny movie um mm-hmm. but it's just like no but, but i think it's because of those elements that those are that's always like when uh, horror stuff is always more effective because you're not expecting mm-hmm. it. You're not like going into this movie that's like, oh yeah, this is the the horror movie I've signed up to watch. And this, when that stuff hits, you're just like, that's so much more effective because I'm not expecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And well, the opening shot of this movie, um, it's like the camera is like kind of in the woods, like in the amongst the trees, and then it's like kind of moving in toward the house. And mm-hmm. when I was watching this the second time, I was like, oh, it's kind of like the, like an evil dead where like the camera's moving in on the cabin, but it's like so ridiculous in that. Cause it's like this fast paced thing where you know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you have a sense that like, it's like some sort of demonic driving force behind the camera. But in this, it's like, so like, why is that shot in this movie? And it's like one of the opening things of just like moving in on this house. And it's like, it's just like a tossed away thing, but it also kind of sets up this thing about like, um, 
outside forces are like manifesting against her and she's completely oblivious to that thing happening outside of her and she's because she's this dutiful wife that's just like life's what it is and i'm just this is what i'm used to and she doesn't realize mm-hmm. that there's things and it's a very obvious kind of like i guess metaphor i guess or visual mm-hmm. thing being set up but it's just like i didn't even think about that the first time i was watching it other than like i was trying to watch it also in a like washed out uh, room with the the sun coming in and i was like what's going on oh it's some trees and like a house mm-hmm. and then watching it like in a uh, on the desktop off canopy uh mm-hmm. it looked much sharper uh, yeah that was how i watched it as well like on my tv but through canopy yeah. uh and yeah it, it looked great it was real crisp but that's kind of like what you the one thing that i was going to say too is where some of it is like really obvious metaphors and like what I was saying where it's like the manifestation of dreams, but it's also kind of like personal fears and like rationalizing those things where for her, it's like divorce and aging and sexuality. And it's all these things that like she is uncomfortable with and she doesn't really want to face. And then it kind of comes out in this physical form. Like to her, it's physical, but it's, it's kind of like hallucinations or dreams or however you want to interpret the spirits parts of it. Right. But it's all these things that like you can tell she's kind of afraid of like di- divorce and sexuality and aging because she's like moved away from that almost. And then it's it's but it's coming back to her and she doesn't want it to. So that was kind of like how I interpreted like the metaphors to for what she was seeing is like it was it's these themes. It's like A, B, C, D. And this is like how she's kind of, this is how she's taking that on. Uh, and I actually, I relate to Juliet a lot because girlfriend just wants to hang out at home and watch TV and eat fabulous snacks all the time. And I'm like, that is, that's the life. But like Giorgio he just wants to go out and party and he's always bringing back parties to her house. Oh, I know guys like that. I know guys. Hey RJ, this is like uh, one of my go-tos at this point, but that like scene where it's like she's kind of prepared this like low key well mm-hmm. her and her servants uh they've prepared this like low key dinner for her and her husband on their anniversary yeah. and he surprises her with a party and i was just like oh it's like mother all over again <laughs> where like all these fucking people show up and they're, they 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 don't want to leave and uh you're like oh I, I guess i should be moved that my husband loves me so much because he's invited all of her friends again and you, and, and, you, and you know that it's like this isn't the first time this is like always what's going on and he's always like oh yeah i gotta leave oh, i got i got that trip in the morning i gotta go to bed see you later uh, oh i'm mm-hmm. gone I'll, I'll give you a call i'll call you later and he passes this on via servants or other people he never actually tells her these things so she's always kind of like having to like perform uh this life mm-hmm. and uh and then again like the mother vibe of like when she like basically the house is like under attack uh mm-hmm. by like the the spirit forces that are like i i don't know what they are like if there's like an actual like spiritual aspect or if it's just all in her head uh it doesn't matter in this movie at all no, it i don't, don't think matter. yeah but like because it seems like it's the the seance that they have kind of like opens up these things because there's a continuity between the names like uh is it otis 
is one of the names of the, like the figures who's like the like very hateful character in Iris. They get mentioned in the one seance, and then they get brought over in the uh, clairvoyance uh, mm-hmm. names. So you're like, oh, there's like more than these names are coming up over and over again. Um, so there's like sort of like that kicks loose these things, but it's also like it kicks loose these emotions and memories that she has being raised in the Catholic Church. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh yeah, I remember that time. Like my dad left because he was like basically anti-papist like he was just like not into this stuff at all and he ran off with a dancer at the from the circus um are you talking about personal experience or about the movie uh it's too soon man it's too soon okay um but yeah so like there's these like these are just things that like get in the proceeds of the movie it's like it's like the flashback stuff that you get in eight and a half as well where Mm -hmm. it's like these like kind of like strange dream-like flashbacks so they're not like literal like this is exactly how it happened they're stylizations they're like that Mm -hmm. and it's like the rooms don't look quite right but uh it's far more effective in this like phantasmagorical kind of way that these things like oh that looks looks like the way that it should in the fellini verse the Fellini verse. Yeah. And that's a cinematic universe that we could get behind. Damn right. The Fellini verse. We're, we're, we're living it right now. We are living it, man. We're we're the only ones following what 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 you should. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, uh, I dig all that stuff. I think it's really good. And it's kind of like what you said. I like that they have the seance thing there where if you wanted to, you could interpret it that way as it being literal. But like my interpretation was it was kind of her dealing with her her issues and like you said it doesn't really matter if it's one or the other yeah it don't matter um but yeah like i i can't even remember what we were talking about before that but yeah uh, there's a lot of stuff that i like in this and kind of like what i was saying before um the beach scene is awesome you get a really fun beach hat uh kind of like the tentacles sombrero uh, I think is the equivalent to this. This is Fellini's equivalent of a lady in a gigantic hat for no reason other than it's there. Uh, I, I dig that. You get the beach uh, dreams, the spirits. Those are really scary. The backyard spirits, those guys are really scary. And then uh, the in-the-house spirits, I think those guys are pretty spooky too. Uh, <laughs> like when you like cut back to them, and they're all kind of or like you look at them and they're all doing stuff and then she kind of looks away and then she cuts back and they're kind of all looking at her. Yeah. I was like, ooh, shit. That's well, pretty spooky well, stuff. Well, there's the one where it's like she's like, be gone. And then they all disappear. And you're like, oh, it's over. But then it's like, nah, they're, they're still there. And like, yep. they, and it's like not like they're just using like the undead like they're, or using these things. It's like, no, it's people living and dead. They're, they're representations. So it's like mm-hmm. I don't think it's like anything to be taken literal it's kind of funny that we're talking about it like it's a horror film because uh i'm sure people it is be, well it's it's it plays like it and that's like when it's at its best i think um but there's also the <laughs> like the domestic stuff that i'm uh, i'm a big uh fan of like from pygmalion and stuff like that uh and earlier in the episode uh we were talking about gaslight and uh mm. there's there's a whole lot of that going on here with giorgio where it's like him like mm. rolling around in bed gabriella and then after being confronted about it the next morning, he's like, what? Oh, oh, there's that book I was looking for. And then he like picks it up and she keeps talking. And then he just like kind of puts it on the shelf and he's just like, see you later. Like, Jarrett style. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, quite a bit of that. And it's like, yeah, this guy's uh, a piece of shit. And then mm. um, 
just like, yeah, the kind of like the final confrontation that she has with, uh, well, Gabriella, that she never is a person she never meets. She's like a phantom herself. There's like these, mm-hmm. ring, these ringing phones that there's never anyone on the other side. She sees photos and videos or, or uh, yeah, um, little surveillance cameras of her in motion, but you never see her face. Even there's like the one shot, like kind of like when she's like having all these like flashback moments as her husband's leaving. It's like zooming on in on who should be Gabrielle, but her face is uh, covered with her, a giant hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, there's just like so much visual splendor, RJ. There's so many things that are going Ugh. on in this movie. It's uh, <laughs> a gross thing to say. Ah, uh, not too bad. We get a seven. We get a uh, seventh seal uh, homage. Just like I noticed in, that. You know? Yeah, yeah. As they're yep. walking up the hill to a biplane, uh, just like in Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I noticed that. I thought that was uh, really cool. Uh, and it's like I said, um, like you were saying, some of the visual stuff. I think the nuns look so cool, they, and all all of that stuff, like the the jo- like the Joan of Arc stuff, and the martyrs or yeah, just, whatever whatever martyr, religious yeah. story they were playing out. Yeah. It's Those, uh, I, I thought that scene was the, awesome. the, the little kids playing Roman soldiers. <laughs> yeah, that's so much fun. Like could. Now you're it, gonna burn alive. <laughs> couldn't you? Don't you just want to work in a Catholic school so you can do that? Like that. That sounds like so much fun. Oh my god, that's like the nerdiest thing I've ever said. Um, yeah. If there was any place you could do it, though, I like to lead into that scene too. It's like she goes to see her like sex pot sculptor friend, who's <sighs> oh, and she's like bird or sex is birds <laughs> and bird sounds, and she's like, excuse me, and it's like bah. And uh, she's like, "Um, excuse me? And they're like, don't you get it, you idiot? Sex is birds. And it's like, be a whore. And you're just like, what is going on here? It's that old lady making sex sounds. Yeah. And then we get uh, get a chubby cat. You do get a chubby cat with a bow. You get that big bow. Yeah. And then earlier on, you have that that, that big weightlifter dude who's got like a cat laying on him during that seance scene. Hey, come join it. He's like, no. There was a lot of cat stuff in this, which I, I feel like uh, Neil Gaiman might be a fan of this movie because he's all all about cats like crossing dimensional planes and stuff like that. Uh, and one of the first lines that I really liked in this movie was that uh, that guy's like, I don't like cats. And someone's like, what do you mean? He's like, they attract restless souls. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. That's pretty spooky. Mm-hmm. Cats are spooky, baby. So like, what are the chances, though, that we watch two movies uh, in a row where there's a character... By, by the name of Alyosha in it. Because, like, was that not the name of the man last week? The the protagonist in Ballad yeah, of a Soldier? Yeah, but one is Italian and one is oh, Russian, oh, no, right? No, they're both Russian. Because it's like a Russian guy at the like at the, at the house, oh, at the neighbor's place. And I was okay. just like, wow. It's like, that's not a name I ever see much in my day-to-day life. And here we are watching two movies back-to-back. Well, but maybe in Russia, it's like Alex. Maybe, like, how many, how many Alex do you see in a day? Yeah. Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. It's a different name, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. I had an uncle named did, Alec. Did, do you think that house? Do you think uh, Susie's house looks like a fun time during the seance, or just well, during well, regular? That was, that was long past the seance. That was the 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 neighbor with all the rumpy pumpy and uh, brothel the times. Rumpy pumpy. Rumpy hey? pumpy. Yes. Uh, I didn't like uh, uh, I didn't like the look of a lot of the people that were attending, but uh, it, whenever I see stuff like that, it just reminds me of that uh, "It's Always Sunny" episode where <laughs> where they go to the orgy. <laughs> and uh, no buffet it's all though. The, 
yeah, the buffet. And he's like, yeah, some of the people might not be great, but at least there's food. <laughs> and that's all I can think of because I feel like the boys at Always Sunny, they, they must have been fans of this kind of these kinds of movies also. And that these orgies are gross. Why would anyone go to these? <laughs> Maybe just the food, I guess. Maybe. Uh, there's like that one, there's the one sequence in this. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of uh, Deep Red, uh, where it's like there's like a flashlight that's kind of like beaming back and forth between like these moments that are like like these women are just jumping on these dudes and they're like making these animal sounds and like mm. it, it pans off to another person and it's another like scene that you're seeing like in like whatever half coitus um that, that Great. what sorry half half a coitus could you elaborate i'm i'm having trouble visualizing what you mean penises and vaginas and mouths and butts rj how is that different from full coitus? Well, it's like, because it's not happening yet because this is a nice 1965 movie still. Oh. It's like, it's like, it's getting there. It's kind of like the scene where like the, the two dudes go up the, to the tree and uh, you're like, whoa, but there's only one woman up there. Oh. Yeah. Jarrett. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, Hey, Fellini's got a thing for psychics and magicians. And, hey? and Catholic guilt. Catholic guilt, but I think all good filmmakers, all good Catholic filmmakers uh, suffer from Catholic guilt. Look at Mel Gibson. Like Marty? Oh, Marty. Yep. It's a, it's a good way to instill certain values into a person and for them to feel bad about them and for them to use that those bad feelings and create Right? Isn't that what art is, Jared? You have an art degree. You tell me. Huh? Huh? I don't, I don't know nothing about that art. Huh? What? Well, that's what I thought art was, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. But anyways, uh, Fellini loves magicians, and I think that's super funny. Yeah. Weirdo hacks that talk about bullshit and just like that. Yep. It's like, uh, that's never gone away, has it? Yep. It's just I love the, it. The, just the words change, but the sentiment rem- uh, remains. I think it is hilarious. You know what else I think is hilarious? The uh, obsession with this movie with sangria. Like, did sangria just get invented? Or, like, what was the... There's all that talk. It's like uh, the potion of oblivion. And they're like, it'll, it'll like, connect you to the spirit. Or not spirits, but they're like, this will, like, cause you to see God. And they're like, what is this magical drink? And they're like, it's sangria. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I was like, what... Like, what's the deal with sangria here? Like, is I don't get it. Do you understand? Like, well, I know it's like uh, ladies like sangria. I know a lot of older gentlemen who like sangria too. I mean, I've had some sangrias from time to time. Just, uh... I just I thought it was pretty funny. I like I don't really understand why sangria was such a a focal point of the it's story. A, well, RJ, uh, little is known about the origins of this Spanish drink. According to the Sage Encyclopedia of Alcohol, Sangria's origins cannot be pinpointed exactly, but early versions were popular in Spain, Greece, and England. Uh, predecessor drink to Sangria that was served either hot or cold, likely likely originated in the Caribbean, and there was introduced to mainland America, where it was common beginning in the American colonial era, but largely disappeared in the United States by the early 20th century. Sangria as an ice drink was reintroduced to the U.S. by the late 1940s through Hispanic Americans and Spanish restaurants and enjoyed greater popularity with the 1964 World's Fair in New York. <gasps> And this movie came out one year later. Maybe uh, Fellini had this sangria, and he's like, 
Mamma Mia, and 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 that's and hence history was made. Um, what do you think his response was? Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball. Classic, classic racism from Italian. Jared. <laughs> He's an Italian. Oh, hey, Mamma Mia, sangria. Ooh. Well, I'm glad you did some digging on that, and uh, oh. I was just really curious. I was like, what's up with sangria being uh, hitting so much in this movie? Like, if my movie focused on white Russians a lot, people would be like, oh, that must just be his drink. And I guess you could and, assume and the same about Fellini. Big, well, or you watched Big Lebowski. Hey, 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 hey. I was drinking those way before Big Lebowski. Um, I hope not, because you were, what, seven, eight? <laughs> Maybe you were seven or eight yeah. drinking big uh, white Russians. Yeah. The point, the Jared, point is sangria. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, one, one last thing I'll say okay. that I really liked. I actually really liked about this movie, which I think is a it's a nice way to describe the movie as a whole for what Juliet is feeling. The one quote uh, from the mysterious depressed man, uh, he says he's talking about the garden and he says flowers are grateful when loved. And I thought that was a very nice thing. And it was kind of talking about this. I, I felt like that represented the movie as a whole. So the whole movie is about, man. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah. I've, sa- I've said my spiel, but uh, my, uh, yeah, I, I did like this movie. My, 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 yeah, cool. I feel, yeah. So, I mean, I would say for folks listening, maybe listen for a recommendation or however, whatever you listen to our show for. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a very literary movie, I feel. Like, it's got a lot more weight to mm-hmm. it than a lot of movies. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to unpack some stuff. But, boy, that, the final 40 minutes of this movie, or whatever it is, they're mm-hmm. incredible. Like it is uh, some top tier uh, filmmaking going on right there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to probably inundate the uh, Instagram with uh, stills from this movie. Cause I, I've got a lot of them. There's so much stuff, so many good mm-hmm. things going on. Uh, this is a movie that definitely deserves to get released on Blu-ray since uh, watching this in standard def on a stream, just, you can definitely see the, um, uh, where there's some limitations there. And this like movie would just be, uh, the colors would be so much better. And yeah, I, I don't know if I mentioned, this is uh, Fellini's first color film. Oh, you didn't mention. And yeah. uh, I feel like our podcast that, is a sham. That was, I think, actually my like second note on my notes. But then I, you wanted to know why I watched this movie twice. <laughs> uh, I did want to know why you watched this movie twice. And I was very taken aback by that. Because hmm. frankly... It was a little weird. <laughs> I guess. Well, it's just weird. You've never done that before. So I was like, what the fuck? I, have. I was like, what's I've, going on I've here? Watched, I've watched eight and a half well, twice. With commentaries. Uh, no, I don't think I did actually. Well, maybe I, that day I didn't look at Letterboxd and I didn't see what you were doing. How's that sound? Uh, the things you don't know, RJ. <laughs> hey, I don't think I've ever made grand leaps in, in my logic or what i'm doing well rj this what? uh brings us to uh that portion of the show where we talk mm-hmm. about who hates juliet of the spirits it's a good question uh we got two uh contenders here who actually give like lengthy posts about their problem which is like a rarity sure. usually there's like pithy comments but these are actually well thought out i guess i'm gonna find out because i haven't read them yet jacob flash one and a half star. Mm-hmm. 
I am fully aware that Roger Ebert gave this film four stars, and critics in general praise it in unison. But I have to be honest with myself and say that Juliet of the Spirits is a bit pretentious to me, and not in a good way. Uh, what's the good? Mm-hmm. What's the good form of pretension? What is a good form of pretension? Yeah, like it literally is like being acting like you're better than what you are. I mean, that's not a good thing. Uh, on, the whole, on the whole, I don't mind style over substance cinema, thematic symbolism, the idea of digging into the narrative and search for deeper meaning, projecting the filmmaker onto his work or my own personal shit to find symmetry between the <laughs> film's themes and something seemingly unrelated. But Juliet of the Spirits lacks a driving force to propel me to do any of that. It's tedious, unfocused, and downright exhausting. Filled with undoubtedly colorful imagery and hallucinatory visions, this is, according to many, Fellini's forgotten masterpiece. Perhaps it is my willful arrogance mixed with simple ignorance, (laughs) as I am not too intimately familiar with Fellini's other works, but I can only describe Juliet of the Spirits as annoying in its attempt to dress a simple theme of a woman's Mm -hmm. journey of self-discovery fueled by the need to deal with her husband's infidelity in Wizard of Oz attire. Because you know what? Wizard of Oz was first and foremost entertaining. And Fellini took all this for granted and crafted a film that, sure enough, has a lot of depth to it, but it is not a depth I am in the least willing to explore. (laughs) Uh, Wow. There is a difference between snorkeling on a coral (laughs) reef and in your local lake. So I'll leave you to figure out where Juliet of the Spirits fits in this metaphor. Um, I mean, he, he wrote a lot of stuff. He did actually just That's write a lot. He, he mostly just wrote a lot of stuff, I think. Uh, looking at how Jacob rates movies, I wholeheartedly disagree. He gave The Keep one star. He gave Mortal Kombat one star, which... I don't think that's a one-star movie. Well, Let's just Julia the Spirits is only half a star better. Well, Jared, he gave Payback with Mel Gibson one star. That seems to be a movie that people dump on hard now. I don't. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. I'm that saying. Movie's, I know you like that movie, but that movie's amazing. But, why but, why do people dump on that? I, I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. But this person's ratings don't make any sense either. Like, he's, he's given a bunch of movies. Like, very clearly not five-star movies, five stars. Gravity, Diabolic, Halloween, the new 2018 Blumhouse Halloween. First Man, like that movie is good, but it's not five stars. Hereditary, School of Rock, <laughs> The Faculty, like it's, this guy's big sick. This guy's all over the map. Man. Everybody wants some? Ugh. That movie's not even good. Baby Driver, Hell or High Water, Christine, which we just talked about. This guy's pretty hot and loose with his five-star reviews. He's not to be trusted. I feel like this guy just wants to snorkel in his local lake. Yeah, not to be trusted. Contrary to his claim otherwise. I I feel like that's what he'd do. All right, next up, The Volta. One and a half star. Nothing is developed. Every concept this film contains is introduced within the first 15 minutes, and these concepts become tools of tedium. That's uh, twice tedium's appeared uh, soon after. Julieta Messina is directed horribly. Fellini doesn't utilize her enormous talent for powerful and affecting facial Mm -hmm. expressions. Well, okay, we'll talk about that. But instead has her project a dull series of basic emotional reactions which is accurate because she's repressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's those moments mm-hmm. like at the end of the movie, her big final shot where she's like relieved. 
No, it's almost like it pays off, RJ. Her dialogue... Almost. Her dialogue is devoid of wit or prosody? I, that's a word prosody? I don't... Prosody? That's a word I don't come across very often. So, I, I, I do know prosody. It is, from what I understand, it's... This is a very simplified explanation, but it's kind of like the melody of the delivery of the dialogue. See, I always think of cadence. Yeah, cadence is another way. Uh, prosody is like pattern of rhythm and sound used in tec- po- in poetry. Yeah, it's te- okay. it's technically different. Po- po- but, poetry yeah. is the lowest form of art, so uh, that's probably why I haven't encountered that word very often. Mm. Okay, well, we, we, now I now I know a new word, and mm-hmm. I will never continue to not use it. Good for you, though. Uh, just so it lacks wit or prosody or novel observations. The development from her confusion to her liberation is so poorly paced and lacking in any focused conflict that the palatial world Fellini crafted can't carry film past the lack of anything compelling going on. (gasps) A sentiment of personal autonomy runs within the film, which I support. But none of the film's components contribute to communicating this message. I just have to infer that's what I can take from this film because nothing going on seems to have any reason to be other than quick aesthetic astonishment. Holy shit. And the same can be said about (laughs) Satyricon, but the aesthetic astonishment that Satyricon projects doesn't fade like it does here. Satyricon lingers and evolves as its own rhythm, but Juliet of the Spirits has no rhythm. Fellini may have once had an idea for what feelings he wanted this film to create, like the feeling of the occult in Satyricon, but he lost it and ended up with a mess of gaudy, decorative experiments and (laughs) parapsychological half-thoughts. One star for Nina Rota's score and a half star for the font chosen for the credits, but nothing more, sadly. Um, I think the Volta is an Ed student. Using things like prosody and autonomy, like those are pretty gener- or pretty generic things, but uh, I think the Volta is an Ed student, Jared. They only have four one-star ratings, one of them I agree with completely, Beyond the Black Rainbow. But then also, Don't Breathe, that's not one star. Lava Land, Haunting of Hill House, those aren't really one star things. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, hot take alerts. Do they hot have, take. Do, do they have reviews? Uh, they might. I'll I, check. I, I, I suspect that they probably are packed full of the same pomposity. They might, yeah. Uh, but check out these five star reviews, Jared. You got some good movies, like Texas Chainsaw, In the Mood for Love. But then you have some movies that are very clearly not five stars, such as Picnic at Haining Rock and Cleo from 5 to 7, which is a movie, Cleo from 5 to 7, which I think has popped up consistently for people who have hated the last, like, 20 (laughs) Criterions, which is, like, so bizarre. Uh, But also, like, lots of Criterions for five stars, but the big one, I think, is... uh, the Night of the Hunter, which I've mentioned before. We've alluded fi- to. <laughs> we alluded to before. That might have been the preamble, but I just I find it funny when people give when people shit on movies like like Juliet of the Spirits and then they give Night of the Hunter five stars. It's like, hmm. <laughs> like but why though? But why? why? Yeah. But why? Ah, uh, well we give the voice to all sides of the argument, so we, we we get what's coming to us, I suppose. We don't have to. No, we don't. But 
uh, as discussed earlier, we like our filler. Well, we got to do something in this whole thing that we do here. That's right. <laughs> so, so that's it. I think this movie is pretty, pretty great. Save like the scenes I talked about that I was like, nah, I'm still not a fan. But uh, man, when it's good, it's cooking. Cooking how? With gas. Cooking with gas. Wow. <laughs> wow, Jared. Unbelievable. Yeah, um, it's good. <laughs> After the break, RJ's tri- taking a trip to Milan. And he's going to give me a call later. But he might take a few more days. His doctor said he's tired and... He's, he's, he's going to take some time away. What are you talking about, dude? Did that happen in this movie? Yes. <laughs> oh, what did I watch? I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting worse at this thing, I think. Pretty bad. expecting you to hated this movie i mean that's typically what happens with the fleenies but it doesn't <laughs> i i like to perpetuate that i hate fellini but it, i do dislike a couple of his movies very much one. the dolce vita one movie is far far too long <laughs> far too long it's like four fucking hours it's ridiculous don't be an asshole. Please. You, you can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole, please. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We're on YouTube. We've got a Patreon page. We're on mm-hmm. SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff. Hey, next week, RJ, it's mm-hmm. Spine 150. Holy cow. And we're talking about Bob Le Flambeur, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville from 1956. I don't know what any of that means. Oh, good. But if it's Spine 150, are we doing something special? Like, uh, are you going to have a live feed of your, your pantaloons? No. What's wrong with your pantaloons? I'd have to be wearing some. Whoa. Well, that's very exciting. You've never seen a John Pierre Melville movie, so that's that's good. 
whatever. What's what's his most popular movie? Uh, what's oh. one movie that you know that he's he's made? The, the Circle of Rouge, The Circle Rouge, uh, Army of Shadows. He's a good he's a good guy, RJ. I think you're you're gonna like this Melville. Army of Shadows is that kind of like Army of Darkness? Not unlike. Cool. I'm fine with that. Whatever. I don't. I don't yeah. give a shit. Yeah, Bob Le Flambeau. Bob the Gambler. It's gonna be fun times. Bob Le Flambeau. Bob the Gambler. Is this a uh, casino movie? Yeah, it's like a little little heisty. It's a little criminal. Hmm. Was, actually, uh, when we were watching, about to watch Rafifi, in my mind, I thought that was a Melville movie, and it was not. Well, you're just fucking horrible at this job <sighs> hey, that we don't get paid for. Hey, it's what we're doing. We're learning about movies, RJ. Learning about Ooh. learning about that art stuff. Po- learning about the um, movies. Po- yeah. Learning about prosody. <laughs> hey, I can tell you about prosody. What would you like to know? What, who, what kind of asshole uses that word? Educators. There you Liter- go. That, that must linguists. be that must be like the the new English or something because uh, I I never I can recall ever encountering that word and it's not like I have a very small vocabulary either. But that's a word that like no your ver- your vocabulary vocabulary your, your vocabulary My, the words I use the- your lexicon your verbiage is quite poor, my friend. <laughs> quite poor. It's not. It stinks. It's no good. <laughs> It stinks. You stink. Uh... Good night. Ooh. I'm really out of it tonight. Me too. For some kind of reason. It's the carbon monoxide. Did you do it? 